Ladies and gentlemen, this is the main event of the evening. And now, for those in attendance streaming on YouTube around the world, it's time to throw down with ITR Boxing Inside the Ropes. Pretty freaking cool podcast. And now for your host, he can be found on the golf course or in any boxing gym, hailing from Pleasant Hill, California. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Luki Lights Out Cartel. So we got Greg Bishop on, and I want to say the first time I ever went to a boxing media room, I saw you in the room, and you had written an article on the TMT bodyguard. And I felt like I was a true professional because I was in the room with you. And I think a lot of times people don't say those type of things to people. So it really means a lot to have you join the podcast. Thank you. That means a lot. Uh, best story from my time with them is I, I had ate all of them at the wing stop, you know. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if that's good or bad. <laughs> that's actually quite a feat. <laughs> so I brought you on because you you do – very interesting work in terms of writing, in my opinion, where you bridge like culture and sport and you really look beyond it. We have Jake Paul and that's probably the most, you can't just look at this as sport because it's like so much more in the world. Let's just start there. Jake Paul. Yeah, no, it's a perfect, uh, it's a perfect topic because I feel sort of conflicted about it. You know, on one hand, I do all access. I, I usually write the narration for their shows for Showtime. You know, we have an epilogue coming out on Jake later this week. We did a, a show in advance. I think that some things he says are super relevant. And it's cool that somebody with that kind of reach and prominence uh, thinks that they're worth saying. You know, female boxers deserve more money. I think everybody can get behind that. There should be fewer belts. I think everybody can get behind that. Don't be a bully, which he was and admits to. I think everybody can get behind that. The conflict for me, I think, comes in the larger sense of like, in one hand, I, I love boxing. I love the sport. I cover it by choice, not because they want me to. Uh, I think that there's great stories in it. I think that there's great access. You know, there's nothing quite like that moment that Manny Pacquiao walks down the ring. I was just in Vegas for that fight. You know, Thunderstruck is playing like, you know, I've covered sports all over the world. There's nothing, truly nothing like that. And the conflict for me comes in like, I want boxing to be relevant. I want it to have eyeballs. And I think people like Jake Paul are not necessarily bad for the sport, you know, where I have more trouble is like, I didn't think that was a good fight. You know, like, I don't think Jake Paul landed any effective punch. I thought he should have won the decision, but it's because Tyron Woodley didn't throw. And so now we're going to like, now there's this like crossover sensation of like Jake Paul's a boxer. Like, we just don't know that yet. You know, I don't, I don't think that that's clear, you know, like he's fought four people who aren't boxers, two of whom were significantly smaller than him. And he's interesting and he's got some good ideas about boxing, but the train feels like it's gone a little bit ahead of where I can get to logically. And so I'm like kind of interested to see what's next. I would be really curious to see him in against a real cruiserweight who can punch and move. I mean, he looks slow to me against Tyrone Woodley. And I just wonder if, if we can, if how to best toe that line, you know, between like attracting a younger audience. Clearly he did getting people to tune in. Clearly he did, but not selling people something that's not true because then to me, you start to get into 
boxing credibility issues and, you know, some of the reasons that fights like that exist in the first place. And I think that when I was looking at this from a deeper level, my, my initial thought was, is this the thing I've seen throughout my life that's repackaged again, Butterbean, Kimbo, all these, these, these type of beloved figures where it's like you look at them at the supermarket and you go, who's that guy? And this is the white boy who's an Instagram cessation where it feels like one thing I learned about Jake Paul in this fight is he uses everything that you think is ridiculous as a weapon. So like his whole exterior is everything that's absurd. And then he tries to give you a lot of substance, whether he means it or not. That's his kind of like weapon to the world is I'm going to be the most ridiculous looking person and then give you substance. You don't, believe this person will say. Yeah, it's interesting you said that, and I think you're spot on. Uh, you know, he's admitted in our show and other places that, you know, this is a role that he's played and seems born to. And, you know, what I've been kind of messing around with in the epilogue, I, I don't want to give away too much, but I think the base concept is fine. Like, to me, there's an interesting dichotomy with him in that he's billing himself as a savior of a sport that needs more of everything, you know, people, relevance, whatever you want to say. And yet at the same time, he's really embracing this role uh, as like the latest true villain in boxing, of which there's obviously a lot of company. And so it's interesting to me that he thinks he can be both, you know, whether that is true remains to be seen. Obviously, um, he's brought people to the sport that wouldn't be there otherwise. I think that's hard to argue against. But, you know, where this goes ultimately to me is kind of fascinating in a way. Like, I kind of hate to admit, (laughs) you know, like, yeah. It kind of reminds me of the Donald Trump presidency, not to get political, but like you're just kind of like whether you agree with his politics or not, you're like, what's going to happen next? And that's like what I'm seeing with Jake Paul is like he's basically a novice boxer. If we went to a high level tournament, he'd be in the novice division. We're not watching tremendous fights, but we're interested to see this guy who basically it looks like he grew up watching Floyd Mayweather and is putting his version of like his childhood boxing into his social media uh, performance. And would you say that because most boxers don't utilize social platforms in interacting with fans, he's kind of cutting the line in the sport? Yeah, I think so. And you know, the other thing is like this falls some on the promoters too. And the the people that run these networks, like there are a lot of bad real boxing fights, you know, like how many times you turn it, tune into a PVC show. I don't mean to pick on them, but in every fight is 12, Oh, all decision, no action. Like, I mean, it's almost every time they have a card. And I think that like, in some ways there's an appeal to this because you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know where this is going to go. I think the calculus that all of them have to consider moving forward is, you know, like I would watch Jake Paul fight any time. The question is, am I going to keep paying 60 bucks for it? You know, and I'm not sure that I know the answer to that. But I do think it's interesting that so many people will pay for this. And, and you know, you'll hear a purist who I don't necessarily disagree with say it's bad for boxing. Well, wasn't Mayweather Birdo <laughs> the same thing? You know, I mean, it, that wasn't an exciting fight. That didn't draw any relevance or eyeballs. It, was, it ended up being pretty boring at the end of the day. And yeah, I think there's room for all of it. The question is, is this part of the future? Is it more of the future? Are we going full WWE here? You know, or is it some combination of all of it? And I don't know any of those answers, but I, I do think it's fair to say the landscape is changing and that people like Jake Paul are driving it. I think that's absolutely what's going on. So now my next question is I actually wrote notes out, which is crazy. <laughs> like that's when you know it's a serious interview when I took notes <laughs> is 
we have Mike Tyson coming back, and he was in one of the most talked about last fights. We got Oscar De La Hoya fighting in a couple of weeks in a 9-11. I almost feel like it's like a throwback to the Tito Trinidad card that occurred on September 11th-ish, I want to say. I'm getting older, so I forget. We got Jake Paul. A lot of the people outside of Canelo, Tyson Fury, Anthony Joshua, and Gervonta Tank Davis are either older fighters in their 50s or social media influencers that are a part of these big cards outside of like maybe five fighters. What is it the fact that most fights with the relevant fighters just aren't entertaining that's drawing entertainers back to the sport? Yeah, I, I think it's that and I think it's perception, right? Like, for one, those guys coming back speaks to what boxing was. You know, this is stop what you're doing and find a place to watch Oscar De La Hoya fight. You know, same thing for Mike Tyson, you know, like... I'm not saying that it's not that way now, but like I have a boxing crew here in Seattle where I live and it's four people, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, that's who comes over to watch the fights. Those are the, that's the total number that are interested. And I do think that like, there are a lot of poorly matched fights. There's a lot of dancing. There are too many belts, like all the things we hear about boxing. Those are real problems. Those are self-inflicted wounds. But I also think there are better fighters than, than the sports given credit for and I think there are pockets of places where, like, you know, to me, boxing in, in Great Britain is really interesting right now. You know, to me, at various points, boxing in Mexico has been incredibly interesting. Maybe not as much now, but you still got Canelo. And I think that part of the issue is, like, boxing has done enough damage to itself that it's allowed people who don't necessarily follow it or who don't love it in the way that I am drawn to the sport to sort of point to things and diminish what, what good is going on. You know, I think 2015 is a good example, right? Like that was Canelo triple G and that was Mayweather McGregor. Like, you know, and you know, one is dismissed as spectacle. The other one is not seen as much as it should be. And to me, Canelo triple G and fights like that should be celebrated in a more mainstream way than they are. Like boxing, it has been pronounced dead for 30 years. I don't think it's ever actually been dead, but it's hurt itself enough that it opened the door for people to say that. So the question is with these new sort of spectacle fights, you know, does it detract even further from real boxing or can it bring eyeballs to the sport that wouldn't have been there otherwise? I don't know the answer to that, but I'm pretty intrigued to see what happens. You made me think of something that is boxing the new Tupac Shakur where Tupac was like a living legend after being dead for 10 years. Like boxing is like the <laughs> living embodiment where it's like people have said it's dead and it just keeps like living on and living on. Yeah, I don't hate the comparison and I think all things are true. Like I think boxing is exciting as heck right now. I think that some of these spectacle things are fun to watch. I think seeing Tyson climb back in the ring with Holyfield would be must watch TV. I wish Oscar wasn't fighting it, and I wish they weren't calling it a pro bout when it's, you know, eight, two in the rounds. But, like, I do think that there's value in what's happening right now on the sport. I also think that boxing has gotten in its own way for 50 years, you know. And I, I agree with people that say there are too many belts, too many bad fights, too many guys who are protected until they're 25 and 0. Like, boxing could fix some of its own issues itself. And if you added that to the landscape... I think you'd have a lot more interest, but I think right now it's everything. It's a sport that can't stay out of its own way. It's a, it's a country that's sort of given up on it. And it's like, if you really want to get into it, like the way that, that like people that love boxing are into it. Like, I think that there's actually a lot of really cool stuff going on right now. It's just that how can they get that to the most people? And I think that's what they're trying to figure out. You know, people that make those kind of decisions, not myself. I think the big issue I see is there's no degree to get involved with boxing 
So you buy the nature of it with a lot of money. You get some really sketchy characters that you can't really put on television all the times. And that does not hurt with the image of boxing being nefarious because then every now and then we get, Oh, here's this sketchy thing over here. That's tied up to five of your favorite boxers. And it's like that to me always feels like that we're going to be a, a non-mainstream sport when that stuff always is occurring in boxing. Yeah. And I think also it's just like this. Sometimes it's just flat out, not honest to the people that love this forward. You know, we keep hearing about Pacquiao. I'm going to cite a couple examples. He's an eight division champion. Well, two of those divisions are catch weights. So, I mean, like, what are you really selling? You know, I mean, he didn't really fight at 154. He fought at 152. That's not the same thing. You know, in fact, it's very significant. I think Jake Paul's another example. Like, I think he's gone up in opposition every fight, but like, why does he have four pro wins? Was one was against a five nine retired basketball player, and the other guy that he just beat in a, I think a more impressive performance than the other ones, you know, is clearly not a cruiserweight. You know, like why are those even considered pro bouts? Like, your audience is not dumb. You know, tell them the truth. Tell them why it matters. Why Jake Paul is good for boxing. There are ways in which he's good for boxing, but I think the best way to ground that in the future is by being honest about what it is and what it isn't. And I think a lot of times we get a blurred line there between reality and like what what we hope reality is that I think turns off people that are reasonable fans, but not um, die hard or too into it. So I'm going to ask you a meta question. I forget what the name of that movie gone girl that where the bar was called bar. So like, they're like, that's very meta. So I'm going to ask you a question where it says, where it's basically in 2021, what is the state of boxing? If you're just talking to people from the future that took a time machine and you had to break it down, how would you explain what boxing currently is right now? Well, I don't think this trend of like different kinds of fights is going away. And again, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. It just needs the proper framework and it needs to be framed in a way that, you know, this is one thing and this is another, you know? And so, I think you're going to see Conor McGregor in a boxing ring again. I don't know against who, maybe against Chick Paul. I think that that's going to happen. I think you're going to see more MMA guys try to cross over because their pay structure is significantly worse than like a big boxing fight, you know, and the money that they can make there. But I also think like right now there are a lot of great young fighters that are being ignored, you know, uh, or they aren't really getting as much at mainstream attention as they should be. And again, like in boxing, of course, they're well known. Everybody's good, but, I'm very intrigued by Tiafimo Lopez. I, I love what's going on in the heavyweight division. If they can ever get those guys to start cycling through each other. Uh, I think there's a lot of featherweights that are pretty interesting to watch and could be matched up. You, know, you look at 126 to 135, like those three divisions, like there are 20 like amazing boxers in there. And like, you know, what I, if, if I might, if I'm putting my ideal hat on in 2021, we're seeing those kind of fights. You know, this is Tiafimo against Tank Davis or, you know, any number of like, you know, this is uh, Caleb Plant Canelo. This is David Benavidez against either of those two guys. Like, you know, I would love to see boxing at that point, establishing a sort of new arm in terms of like, these are different events we're going to hold, but also showing people why the sport is great on its own. It doesn't need spectacle. It doesn't need Jake Paul. Like they did like Canelo, Caleb Plant. So just an awesome fight. You know, I will watch that in a hundred days in a row. And so I think that like, that's an ideal version. What do I see? more of the spectacle fights and more negotiations about fights that aren't going to happen (laughs) because that's historically what we always see. Yeah. I mean, that's, and it's kind of the sad truth is I've noticed more fans now become fans of the talking about fights than the fights itself, because there's, 
we've been strung along with so many conversations. People are now professional conversation followers as opposed to professional fight fans. And that's a shame because Terrence Crawford is right in the prime of his career. And a year ago, he was, in my opinion, without a doubt, the best boxer in the world. Now other people would put Canelo up there, Spencer, whoever. Uh, But like, you know, this is clearly part of his prime, you know, and he's not fighting Errol Spence. He's not fighting, you know, Manny Pacquiao, you know, like the next fight is a good one. I like the Trump Porter fight. I think stylistically it's interesting, but what a waste, you know, and I'm not even blaming top rank or the beef they have with PC. It's just boxing, right? Hashtag boxing. Like this could have been something really cool and definitive that would have boosted Crawford into the mainstream consciousness where he belongs. And it's not his fault or even necessarily any one person's fault that he's not quite there, but it's, it's sad because he's a hell of a fighter who will never get his full due because he missed out on some of the fights that would have made the difference, you know, and that's one thing I love about Manny Pacquiao's career, you know, I just watched him take his eighth loss, but God, you talk about, you could recall 25 fights that were memorable. Like how many boxers right now could you say that about any, <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, I'm trying to think of a comparison of a football player, maybe like Andre Johnson to Terrence Crawford, where it's like statistically they have these amazing seasons. Fantasy football guys are always drafting them, but they're like largely unknown because they play for a team that's not competitive for most of their career. Is that like the apt comparison to Terrence Crawford, where he's like our guy, the fantasy football type guy, but like most people are like, oh, I've heard of him, but I don't know what he does. Yeah, 100%. I think the other thing I'd include in your scenario is talent. You know, like, I mean, Andre Johnson's a Hall of Fame caliber player, regardless of where he played, you know, and I think the same would go for Terrence Crawford in terms of, I think he's probably a Hall of Fame if he retired today in boxing. And so, um, yeah, it's a very good comparison because, you know, in some ways the talent is overshadowed. Even the record is overshadowed in Crawford's case, like with Johnson's yardage, you know, by not winning a playoff game, not even get getting there. And to me that, you know, that's kind of sad, you know, like I think Terrence, Bo- Terrence Crawford is an underappreciated boxer, like his skill level, the ability to switch stances, the way he did take on all comers for a long time. You know, I, I, I think he's, he should be given more due. I, I think you could say the same thing about Canelo Alvarez, you know, like this is a guy that's famous in Mexico and, and pretty famous across the world, but, you know, his resume is great. <laughs> I mean, like he's fought some real dudes and he's beaten all of them except for Mayweather. And obviously that happened early into his career. And I just think sometimes because of the way that boxing is now, because we've sort of lost that mainstream appeal, that guys like that aren't appreciated. And we spend a lot of time talking about Jake Paul when, you know, I think Jake Paul is fascinating. I'm very interested in what happens next with him. I'm obviously tied to him in a work you know, related way, but like, you know, to me, Canelo Alvarez is a thousand times more fascinating. The problem is he just will never get that attention. And that's not his fault. That's boxing's fault. Well, here's a, because you do a lot of deep work. There's guys like Canelo and Golovkin where I truly don't think I know them as people. Like they really are very guarded. Like, especially Golovkin's the king of this. I don't know much about him. Like as an individual, I don't know where he'd go shopping. I don't know like what he does to relax Canelo is that way. How do you, like, when you go into these situations to do these stories, do you take in, like, how do I try to relay that? Or do you just accept these guys are extremely guarded? This is a big business individual. I just have to be there and observe what I observe. You know, I try to be transparent with them, you know, in terms of, like, 
the kind of work I do, I hope is different. It's nice of you to say that, you know, I hope it's deeper. This is what I want to do. You know, like the first time I wrote about Pacquiao, for instance, he's not a great interview, right? Nice guy. But like I've interviewed him 500 times and, you know, three of them were like really what I would consider good. But, you know, the first time I wrote about him, I just, I, I waited for him in his apartment for like six hours with Fred Sternberg. And we ended up, you know, essentially, um, he never came downstairs. So I watched all these people like deciding what kind of Gatorade to get him or like cleaning the dartboard for the 30th time. And I just wrote about the entourage and like everything around him. And like that first story was really a window into like, I can do different things. Cause these boxers was different about a boxer compared to NFL star and NBA stars. They're really like their own ecosystem. Like they're their own little planet, you know? And so that means that there are financial things that come out of them. There are people that depend on them. There are, you know, the, the way they sort of operate. So I end up writing about Mayweather's financial structure, you know, and how he was essentially taking control from managers in a way no boxer had done before. But I wrote about Vasily Lomachenko's footwork and how he came to that from dancing or, you know, uh, Pacquiao's relationship with his wife. At one point I even wrote about it. And uh, I just think that boxers are so open that like the best thing I've done in that regard is just sort of saying, and I, like, I haven't had great l- luck with Canelo or Golovkin to your point, you know, I've definitely met with both. I like both um, <clears throat> great fighters, both, but I, I think that, you know, the biggest thing for me is sort of laying out like how I think I can do it differently and then seeing if they agree. Well, I mean, I just, Golovkin was like, I remember <laughs> I was at a thing and they were going to give me kind of like their, the quote unquote, like the access you get where they're like, let's <laughs> take you in the room and you get the guy for five minutes, you get the special treatment. And I remember like just looking and it's like he's answering questions the way he thinks I want them answered. There's no like it, it was I, I'm very good at reading when someone's reading me back what it is. And I was like, OK, there's not much depth here. It's like whatever I want, he will recite back and that's it. Well, and I think that's partly because boxing promoters and boxing writers have an interesting relationship compared to the other sports I cover. I don't want to be too critical of either, really. But, you know, I mean. What you see before most fights is the same story written 19 different times. Like that never interested me, you know? And I, if, if a promoter comes to me with a story or, you know, one of the great PR people that I work with, like, like Fred or Evan Korn or Kelly Swanson, like I usually will say, are you, are you selling this to anyone else? You know, <laughs> like, you know, like I don't want to do the same story as, as Kevin Ioli and everybody else, you know, like they're all great writers and they'll probably get to it faster than I will, you know? So I really try to like differentiate, but that means looking at the sport sometimes in like a totally different way. So speaking of the great American story, I only got two last days for you. I know you're extremely busy, man. Um, 2016 Olympian Charles Conwell, I'm throwing this on you. He's one of these interesting stories I follow because it's like, there's like, he reminds me of a Charlie Brown character where there's a a rain cloud falling on his head. Like he's always going to be, he was the youngest U S Olympian from the 2016 class. Nobody ever even remembers. He's the young Olympian loses in the first round um, unfortunate, the Patrick Day situation was built around Conwell, so he's always going to deal with that. And now he's got like this weird situation with his manager. He's saying the manager faked a hand injury. It's just weird stuff follows him. He was off the card for this pay per view, which is totally like a Charles Conwell thing. Have you had any observations about Conwell since I think that he's kind of like just an interesting boxer to look at because it's like everything that can go wrong is going wrong with his career despite great pedigree and uh, it's actually interesting you said that because i actually tried to write him a few years ago and like the idea in my head was like 
we tend to write about the people that get injured in these fights, you know, the worst ones, the ones that are hard to reconcile. We don't often write about the person that inflicted the damage, you know, unwittingly as part of their normal course of job duties, you know, and I think there's a psychological toll to that, that somebody like me could never understand. So I actually pitched him on writing him, but nobody responded. And, uh, you know, the reasons I wanted to write him were the ones you just stated. I think there's the boxing is such an interesting sport in that like so many things have to happen for a fight to go off. And even then, you could be having a bad day or your legs don't feel right. Or, you know, you, you didn't get any sleep the night before. I mean, there's no redo, there's no teammates, there's no break, you know, other than like the in round stuff, but they're not really paying attention. You know, this is to me, that's the appeal of boxing, what makes it visceral, you know, but it also means there are going to be people on the wrong side of that, you know, people who, you know, are this close and don't get there. People who have an off night on the only night that matters, you know, people who, can never overcome a moment in the ring that's totally understandable why they would never overcome it. And that's actually what draws me to the sport. You know, it's not as much like the violence, although sometimes it's fun to watch a knockout. To me, it's like the, the sort of internal, you know, clash there. Like that is, that is really like a deep soulful spiritual thing. I don't think it's replicated in any, any other sport, but to me, he embodies that in a way where you feel bad for him. I mean, I just, <clears throat> I've talked to him a lot, and it's like there's a level of pain with Conwell that he hides, and he's very mature for his age, but it's fascinating because I feel like most people want him to be a 30-year-old man at 23 yeah. years old and give these deep statements and kind of reflect like he's Yoda or something, give you this really great quote where you're like, okay, that encompasses every emotion, and he's a 23-year-old man who's really good at boxing, who's probably doesn't know who he's going to be for the next 40 years. Right. Yeah. hundred percent. And you know, that kind of what I worry about with somebody like that, and this is just armchair psychology, but you know, if that's in your head, you shouldn't be stepping into a ring at all. You know, like it just seems dangerous, you know, like, I mean, these guys have to overcome that sort of vulnerability that like is normal in a mere mortal person, you know, in order to do what they do in the course of their everyday work. And so, yeah, that's why I hope Pacquiao stops fighting. He's taking a beating, you know, just doesn't quite seem like he's there the way he was for Thurman. And <clears throat> I'm sure he'll fight. <clears throat> it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Excuse me. <clears throat> no worries. Do you have any amazing article story from your time just being around one of these entourages where it's like that was a memorable experience? Uh, yeah, I did our first cover on Floyd Mayweather in 2015, and I went to his gym for 30 days in a row. And Floyd and I have an interesting relationship. I should be transparent. Like, I'm, I've written about him going to jail. I've written about the domestic violence. I've taken him to task. Uh, he's not like some of the things I've written. <laughs> I've been, like, removed from the gym. I mean, it's been kind of up and down. But in, in the end, I kind of like him more than I think I'm supposed to. Like, we have sort of a an interesting back and forth that I think has netted some depth. But it's a long intro to get to like the story that uh, that I did from the cover story. So for 30 days in a row before the Pacquiao fight, I went to Floyd's gym. Chris Mannix handled Manny Pacquiao. We did dual covers, one on each side. And I think it was about like day 16 or 17. I was in the gym early before Floyd got there. And I had to ask Leonard Ellerby every day if I could go. So there's like Mannix and I would joke, there's like this string of unreturned texts. You know, then he would just call and say, okay, you can go now. And sometimes it would be at midnight, sometimes it would be at 2 a.m., Sometimes it would be like earlier in the day. On this particular day, I was allowed in around two o'clock and Floyd wasn't there yet. 
And all of a sudden, I see two guys kind of scuffling in the corner. It's apparent immediately that they're both boxers, but I didn't recognize either one at first. And one sucker punched the other, and then like a melee ensued. So come to find out this is Chop Chop Corley and Zab Judah, who are in, involved in this altercation. Apparently, Chop Chop had said something on Instagram about Zab ducking him. And when Zab confronted him about the post, Chop Chop did the sucker punch. Well, what happened next is I was kind of pushed out the door with anyone else who was there and they were trying to resolve it inside. But instead of that happening, here comes Zab Judah running down the street with a knife in his hand and no shoes on his feet. And uh, I think they ultimately were able to break that up. Nothing happened. But the best kicker to that whole story in terms of being around these guys was I saw Floyd later that day and he said, are you going to write that? And I said, of course, you know, I'm going to write that, you know, and he's like, yeah, fuck it. <laughs> you know, he's like, this is my life, you know, you know, <laughs> I mean, it was like, you know, to him, it was just Friday. That's a, that's a pretty, that's a pretty good reaction where he's like, yeah, we can't sense like, this is just, this is just business as usual. Yeah. It was basically like, you know, he's like, make sure Zab's not mad. And I was like, well, I'm not going to tell him to write it. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. What was that? the vibe of those last Mayweather camps in the gym? Like, was it just more like what, because I feel like people until the end of time are going to be studying Floyd and you were in the gym. Was there any mindset thing or social observation you saw when he was training? That's just different. Yeah, it's a good question actually, because it was different than I, I would expect to answer. It was very familial, you know, like, I mean, toward the end, I think Floyd got a little bit soft. I think he realized he'd make a lot, made a lot of mistakes, you know, and I, you know, I'm talking to him in recent years, like, since he retired, he lost Roger, you know, his trainer died and lost the, the woman he had a lot of conflict with, but she was the mother of his children. You know, obviously there, there was court case and whatnot involved. I'm not trying to diminish that, but um, he's been through a lot of loss the last two years. And I think what you saw right before then at the end of his career was a guy who realized he'd made a lot of mistakes and was trying to like give people a memory to remember. You know, I think that it very much felt like he was trying to help the people around him where he could, you know, one of the best friends is a clothing line. Another was a boxing trainer. Uh, you know, Roger had other fighters, his dad had other fighters, Nate Jones's security. And, you know, he'd fallen on hard times and they were in the Olympics together. And, you know, like there, Floyd is, I wouldn't say he's a good person. I don't think it's really my place to judge, but he's done good for people that is, is sometimes gets overshadowed by the things he's done that are not good. The thing that I looked at the end of his career is he reminded me of like a cowboy movie. And I watch a lot of cowboy movies where the cowboy did a lot of stuff in his life. And then like the last act of a cowboy movie is the regret, but knowing this is who I become. So like I, yeah. I've done some bad stuff, but this is the man I am. So now I have to either give back or live in isolation. That's like the end. That's kind of like act three, burn the town down. And then I'm leaving on my own just yeah. to be a cowboy. To me, that's perfectly said because I don't want it to sound like I'm redeeming Floyd. I don't think there's redemption in his story, but I do think that there is, I'm always drawn to the kind of story where like somebody does something they can't take back, you know, something that will be and live with them forever. And how you respond in that moment is usually pretty telling, you know, there is, you know, some people don't respond at all, which is understandable because you just don't want to be in the public eye. And he responded in ways that were good and bad. And I think that, you know, it bore out that he is a complicated person. I, I sometimes would have like, you know, big J journalists asking me, why do you write about a guy like that? And I always said like, who do you think you're writing about? Like, you know, like, are we, 
is Aaron Rodgers a saint? You know, like, are these guys like infallible? Like, of course not. You know, I'm drawn to complicated characters. Doesn't mean I excuse the worst of their behavior. It means I want to try to understand them. And like, why did they make these mistakes? What did they learn from them? What can they show us? Like, I think sometimes we take somebody at the table because we find them irredeemable. Like, I, I'm actually interested in the complexity that lies between those extremes. You know, the the idea that somebody's done something that I, would, I never would excuse and what they've done since in a way that could be good, bad or whatever. You know, like I I think that's life in the middle of there. I'm drawn to it. Well, I just I think complicated characters are the most interesting. And if you look at who people are drawn to or who I'm drawn to, I'm never drawn to guy, a guy that's just a great boxer. Yeah. Like that never draws my attention. It's like I either want someone that's fighting through tragedy or through adversity. That's who I'm always seemingly drawn to as a person. Right. And to, to full circle that, like that's why people watch Jake Paul. You know, it's because there is there are things that have happened there that are interesting to look at in light of what he's trying to do. There's a pivot in his career that's interesting. And then there's this idea that, like, he's an interesting character. And the fighting becomes secondary at that point. But that's part of boxing, too. Before I just get you out, because this, uh, you did a great segue out, should we touch at all about Tyron Woodley? Because I feel like we didn't bring him up at all. And, like, he was a part of this. Um, but I feel like he fought not to get embarrassed. Yeah, you know, this This is my read. I don't know any anything about what really happened, but he looked disinterested to me, and he looked like a guy walking in who knew that this was a payday and who decided it was better to not be really embarrassed, you know, and to make enough money and do it again than to be, you know, knocked out by Jake Paul, which, to be fair to Tyron Woodley, would be pretty freaking embarrassing. You know, which is not to say Paul doesn't have talent, but you have a whole country rooting for one thing and then the opposite thing happens. And so, you know, I, I do think that there's, it, it was a little bit sad to me. And it was like, I, I sort of felt like he showed his most fight in the post, you know, like after, in the aftermath, wanting the rematch and whatnot. Maybe that's because having been in the ring with him, like he, it definitely seemed like he didn't fear Jake's power, but he feared like a phantom punch that might, make him a meme for the rest of his life. And I totally understand that, you know, the thing is like, to me, stylistically, the fight just wasn't good. You know, like there was seven of effective punches in the whole thing, maybe. And I would posit that Tyron landed most of them, but like the hype to it and the storylines and everything kept me intrigued. And I think his stories is incredible. The huge family, Ferguson, Missouri, what he fought through UFC, all the titles, like, in some ways, boxing is great because of the backstories and characters that are involved. And I think, you know, if we're going to be critical of Tyron Woodley and Jake Paul, which I obviously have been in this interview, then we need to also acknowledge that, like, you know, they are part of a grand tradition of a cell in boxing. You know, they're just not what we would think of as typical boxers. In closing, my my thought was that it reminded me of the Zodiac Killer movie when they go to interview the creepy guy that's probably the killer in Vallejo. And it's like, this is the most depressing workspace you've ever seen. It's just fluorescent lights. It's this soulless thing. There's this huge man who just looks creepy. And not to compare Tyrone Woodley to that guy, but it felt like he was working in that environment. And that's the attitude he brought to the ring was he was at this place where he gets social security in a couple of years. He just has to clock in and out. And yeah. it felt like the soul, like something in the sport of fighting had been, had been taken out of him and now yeah. it's just strictly a job. 
Well, no, it's true. And you know what else? Like, uh, as I heard you say that, I thought of Mayweather against Logan Paul. You know, the, the Paul brothers, part of their appeal is their exuberance and the fact that, like, they can celebrate things that a boxer wouldn't normally celebrate, like surviving eight rounds, you know? Or, like, you know, and I think Mayweather looked the same. Like, he struck me after that fight as sad, you know? It just sort of, like, he knew he'd made a bunch of money, but he knew in some ways that, like, it didn't look good, you know? And that, like, he wasn't going to sell out to try to, like, end it definitively, which meant that he wouldn't get the respect that he's so crazed, which meant, you know, people would continue to diminish his career. And like, there's just so many things in play. I looked at his face and I saw a guy who thought like, maybe this wasn't a great idea. And I think the same for Tyron Woodley, but then he surprised me by saying he wants another fight. <laughs> so, you know, here we are. I always feel like when people bring up money, that's always a red flag because a lot yeah. of times the greatest joys in my life, sure. Making money has been a great joy, but it's always been a deeper drive. So when money is the biggest factor, I feel like that's always a sad motivation. Yeah, especially if like you're trying to figure out like the landscape of where these fights fit, where Jake fits into it, and what it would mean to lose to him, you know. And so, I I think you could see it on his face. I think he made a really good point. I think Tyron Woodley wore what he was his conflict right here, you know. Like you could see it. Yeah, I mean, I watched it with I think 1996 U.S. Olympian Joaquin Killer Gallardo. And it was just kind of like, I could just see it. We were watching it and I could just see a pain look in a man's face. Like it just looked like, let's just get this money. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's a fair read, you know? So I guess we'll have to see if he comes back, you know? Um, seemed like Paul was already over it. Well, where can we find you on social media? I really appreciate you taking time. We got to play Chambers Bay one of these days. So you Absolutely. can do 68 on me and, <laughs> take all my lunch money but um where can we follow you yeah i'm at, uh, at greg bishop si and then you know I have my own author page at si.com uh i've been doing a lot more of the showtime work so pretty much all the all access uh jim gray's book i ghost wrote it's out now talking to goats if people are interested in that happy to send you a copy right and, on uh, I'm finishing up Laurent Duvernay Tardis book. He's the Chiefs guard who won a Super Bowl and then didn't play during the pandemic because he's a doctor and he went to the front lines instead. Well, that all of that work is really interesting. And that's why I'm really honored to have you on because you're one of the writers in sports, not just boxing, that I enjoy writing because you find stories that I'm actually interested in. Well, thank you. That's the goal. And if, uh, if, that, uh, if that's coming across, that's awesome. I'm here with boxing superstar Charles Conwell. What's up, 2016 Olympian and boxing superstar Charles Conwell? Oh, man, not much. Just getting ready for his weigh-ins tomorrow. How, uh, tell us how the cookie's made or the sausage is made. How's the weight cut going and all that stuff besides probably miserable and unfun? Man, this, this is the hardest part for real. To, like, this is like a real battle to making weight to me. Fighting is that you used to doing so making weight is the hard part to me okay yeah i mean that i think for most people they would view it the other way for me i always feel like making that number that's your job you know that's what you have to do so that's the hard part right yeah, yeah and then if you don't make weight man they're gonna talk to you can be point two over they're gonna talk to you talk about you like you was not you were not that guy <laughs> Well, let's keep it a buck. Charles Conwell always gets the worst luck. So if you came in a little over, you already know everyone would be talking about it like every fight. (laughs) But like everyone always gets on Conwell harder. Like when if something happens to you, people would be on you 
Like you miss weight every fight if you even miss by point two. Let's just keep it facts. Man, I, I think so too. That's why I always just try to be straight and just do everything the right way so I can avoid all that, to be honest. When was the last time you fought in Believeland? Like my fifth my fifth pro fight. So that's the last time. I, yeah, my fifth pro fight that was the last time I fought in Cleveland. That was like in 2017. How has this fight week been going back to Cleveland, um, being an Olympian from Cleveland? Just uh, a lot of people, I'm assuming, are going to get to see you fight that haven't been able to see you fight in a long time. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, like you said, a lot of people get to see me fight that who, who who can't travel. I got a lot of local fans who can't make it out to the big fights they watch on TV. So for me, to fight in front of all of them. In person, it's going to be crazy. I think I got a lot of local support, so it's going to be a, big, a real big deal to me. So I, I put a Twitter poll out. You know, I went to the Internet, and we got Internet questions for you. So they're not just Uncle Lukey questions. We got the Internet. We got Twitter question from this is not Mark on Twitter. He says, how do you feel about Jake Paul? Does he hate him like a lot of boxing fans and people involved with boxing? That's kind of a negative question, but there you go. How do you feel about He didn't really phrase that in the positive, but I don't know why he said that. But I think a lot of people are curious how you feel about Jake Paul. I've told people I think he's really good for the sport. Um, what do you feel about Jake Paul going into this fight? I think he's good for the sport, too. I think he brings a lot of odds to the sport, and I think – He's taking the sport as serious. I think he's really trained. I think he's really putting in work. And if he respects the sport and takes it up as a real craft, I respect it. And the antics that he do outside of boxing, I think it just brings more eyes to boxing. I think he's kind of like the the new Floyd Mayweather. You either love him or you hate him. You're going to take him for what it is. But you're going to tune in. You're going to watch him. So. Well, what I like about him is I, w- I just watched an interview with him and the guys fighting and stuff popped up on my YouTube, and he brings up your name. He goes, ask Charles Conwell, ask Amanda Seriano, and that's pretty cool that someone that has 25 million YouTube subscribers is bringing your name up and making you part of a conversation where if someone hears your name, they've heard it. A lot of people have now heard your name, and I think that that alone is good for the sport. Oh yeah, for sure. And that's another reason he says he says he supports local. Like he supports his local boxing fans. He supports Cleveland boxing fans. He I feel like he he supports a lot of fans who don't get I me. Mean, a lot of boxers who don't get a lot of mainstream coverage. So I think that's that's one of the things I also like about him. He supports a lot of and like kind of like not so known fighters, and he he supports them and get their names out there. Like my the man Serrano's and this other boxer that's that doesn't get that much support that they see. Well, one thing that I do like about what Jake Paul is doing is he has tickets at this price uh, for your fight on Sunday at $10. So if you're having financial issues, you can go to the fight or you can get a fancy ticket. Um, I believe this is one of the highest paydays you've had in your career. I don't know if that's true or not, but could you confirm or deny this one of your highest paydays? Amanda Seriano, he's an advocate for fighters being paid fairly. He's standing up. Mm. You've, you've been in the headlines. We're going to get to that in a little bit, but he's, he had your back on an issue. I don't understand um, why people dislike him because he's standing up for the underdog. Yeah, for sure. And that's another reason. Like I said, he's, he supports the underdog. He supports the local fighters. He supports the underground fighters. He's giving fighters their biggest paydays. And 
I feel like he's doing a lot a lot for the sport that, that goes unseen. People just see the antics and everything else he does, and they don't see the underground work and all the good he does for people. Do you want me to just say what I think it is? I think that it's that people see a guy from the Disney Channel who's a white dude who dresses all crazy and has big chains, and they don't want to believe that this guy can do good for the sport of boxing and then he can really fight. And I think he's preying upon people look at him as this goofy white dude when he's really an athlete. Mm-hmm. He's big. He's got a real nice right hand. It looks like he's working on his left right. hook. He's dedicating himself to the sport. But I think there's a subsection of people that go, man, this goofy white boy can't fight. And that's what he's preying on. Yeah, I, I think so, too. I think a lot of people think he can't fight. But I, I actually think he's good. He only got three fights, and he's professional, and he's doing his thing. He's really like a novice who just really started boxing and turned professional and knocking guys out. That's that's really hard to do. And he's not knocking out guys who who doesn't know how to fight. He's knocking out guys who doesn't know how to fight with only three fights. That's That's cool to me. I think he... For his level, for his level, and where he at in his career, he's doing a good job. I think he's ahead of the game. What is like? Look, if you were matchmaking any fighter, you go to MMA to build a fighter up, right? Like that's the old trick. Sure. Let's find an MMA guy. Well, he's fighting the highest level mm-hmm. MMA guys for that. So, like you said, he's ahead of the game. He's fighting guys right. that were former world champion MMA guys. So, I mean, I think right. the only people that don't like him are just people that are coming in just to hate on him. Yeah, I think so too. I think a lot, the real. I'm not going to say uh, like a lot of real. Probably some real boxing fans, I mean, and real boxers probably don't like them. But I feel like if you really understand boxing and really know what it takes to be become a boxer, and you see where he is at with only three fights, and you know how it is fighters with only three fights and no amateur background come from you, but okay, he's really ahead of the game. He's really doing his thing. Like he's really showing out. To be honest, to me, for where his level and experience is. Okay, um, now enough talking about another man. Let's talk about you. How long have you known that Rubio was going to be dancing with you on Sunday night? Uh, Probably about a week or 10 days or two. Not longer than two weeks, though. So we had a couple uh, opponent switches. Well, I mean, yeah, you had Mark DeLuca, and then you had another guy, and now you had this. I guess what mm-hmm. I'm getting at is, was there ever a chance that you weren't going to be on this big card because this is such a big opportunity was it getting to that point where you're like come on will someone just take this fight uh they were looking no every time an opponent fell out they were right right on it looking for another opponent it just was the hardest part was securing the opponent the opponents uh the with the first opponent mark the i think he has a back injury and then the second guy i think it was something with his visa so it was they, them opponents were real. They were good opponents. They were ready to fight, but it's just the other issue that came with it. It's just other stuff that come with boxing, I guess. And then Rubio, I guess they found him. He was already in shape and he's undefeated. So it's always, you know, it's always good when you fight another undefeated fighter. And I believe, I know Mark was a southpaw. I believe this fighter is a southpaw. So at that point, I'd assume you don't want to change too much of your camp. So you look at look at me. Right. I'm putting you to sleep and stuff already. But like uh, at least at least it's somewhat similar to a degree that you're fighting this guy. Do you know anything about this guy? Uh, yeah, I, I looked him up on YouTube. But I just really watched him in his YouTube fights. I don't think he never fought a caliber fighter like myself. But he's 18 and no 18 people. He's been there in the ring 18 times. None of them beat him. So. He's got to be doing something right, but I didn't think he never fought the caliber of fighter I, I am, and or the level of opposition I fought. So I think they always gives me gives me an edge. 
Okay, so here's some questions from Twitter. Rom Boy Fresh, who loves saying slim. I don't know why he says slim, but he just loves finishing sentences with slim. He says, ask Charles Conwell, when does he think he'll fight for a, for a title? We'll throw the word world in. So I think he meant world title. So Conwell, when do you think you're fighting for a world title? Uh, I think sometime next year, I for, for sure should be in a world title. I think sometime to mid to end of next year, I think they're uh, – I need to get some more quality opponents under my belt, and then I'll be ready for a world title. I'm not really into just trying to rush to a world title. I want to get some quality opponents under my belt, ex-world champions and things like that, and then go for the world title so I can solidify my name and solidify myself in the division. And for those unaware, you're number 12 in the WBA rankings, which is currently mm-hmm. held by Brian Castano. You're number 7 in the IBF and number 10 by the WB, WBC Ron Boy Fresh wanted to know where do you personally rank yourself in the 154 pound division right now? I definitely think I'm a top fighter in the 154 pound division. It's a lot of good fighters, but to really tell where we all at, we need to fight each other and we need to get in the ring. So I'm excited about. And I think this division, a lot of fighters fight each other. They don't do a lot of ducking. They they go fight the the contenders and the uh, champions and stuff like that. So. That's another good thing. I'm in, I think I'm in a good division because we all fight each other. So I'm looking at a guy named Patrick Teixeira. I'm hoping that that yeah. could be a fight that you could get because I, you've been telling me for a year you want to fight former world champions and world title mm-hmm. challenger level guys. That guy jumps mm-hmm. off the page as a guy that I'd like to see you in the ring with in the next six months to nine months. I think that's actually a good opponent. I think I have a similar style to Brian Castano, and I know that caused him a lot of trouble. So I think I think that'd be a good fight for sure. I think that'd be a good fight for him. Well, I just I think that like say a lot of people maybe say we want to see you get a marquee win or see you accomplish mm-hmm. something. Well, that's a former mm-hmm. world champion who pulled off an upset sure. against Carlos Adamus, who's a big mm-hmm. physically strong guy. And if you were to yeah. win that, that answers maybe some questions maybe people would ask about you. And then it would say, well, now you have to fight a top five guy because you just beat this guy who was the guy that when Castano beat him, he got to get a unification fight. So you, you're right there. Right. Yeah, for sure. That's actually a real good name. That's a real good name, to be honest. I never thought about him after he lost the belt, but I forgot he's around. So that's a real good name, though. Okay, so that that maybe that's the guy you're targeting in the near future. You're not looking past this fight, but maybe a guy like Patrick Deshare, if someone writes up a story and makes a headline, maybe maybe run with that. Uh, how has your young family um, been during this COVID? And obviously there's been some financial issues uh, it, with you not being as active as you probably would have liked. How has that put a strain on your family and how has your family been during this this time? Uh, it actually, you know, hard times bring people together. So it actually brought us closer. I've been in training camp a lot. So, and training for fights and fights not going through and things like that. So it's been kind of hard, but you know, when you have a good support system and a good base back at home, they're always supportive. They always understand because they know I'm going through it just, I'm going through it more than what they're even going through. So they just try to be supportive and be there for me and support me any way they can. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's you're an interesting guy because it's like it always feels like if it's not one thing, then it's another with you. And it's like now it's the financial issues. Um, 
I mean, it would annoy me for years and years. I don't want to bring it up, but people would just ask you one question, but they would never ask you about boxing. They'd never ask you about the Olympics. And you're a very young man. Like sometimes right. maybe maybe you want to answer something maybe seven years from now when you have maybe more life experience. But I feel like people wanted you to be a 35-year-old 30 man maybe a year or two ago and answer things like your Mahatma Gandhi or Martin Luther King and have this deep speech where everyone recites it for 20 years. And I think that that's a lot to ask of you at times. I mean – I feel like I'm kind of mature anyway, but yeah, you sometimes you, you get tired of answering the same questions. You get tired of having to repeat yourself or you get tired of talking about certain situations, but I learned to like work, work with it, work around it and just get through it so we can get past it and get to bigger and better things. So now I stay positive. I say positive too. Now I got to get, I'm building to the crescendo, the juicy steak of it all in the ring with Christine, USA Boxing, shout out. She had a question for you and it segues into, I think, why probably most people will tune into this interview. She goes, how are you, Charles Conwell, and Dave's relationship after the story of the fake injury? Uh, to be honest, I haven't really even been focused on it on that. You know, ever since that dropped, I've just been trying to stay focused on my fight because there's been a lot of a lot, a lot of outside noise trying to trying to get in, like to with my, you know, to my spirit and to. And when you in a fight, you want to just focus on one thing. But I have no, but I don't have nothing bad to say about him. I, he helped start my career. He got me to where I am now. So I don't really have nothing. I don't want to really bash anybody. I'm not for bashing people or nothing like that. I just try to stay focused on what I'm doing. And, and just continue to do the best I can. I guess let me elaborate on this. With with that story coming out on ESPN, and people can go read it, how do you now stay focused? Because a lot of people in boxing, I'm not sure if you know this, their main emphasis is the drama, the gossip. They don't really watch the fights. They don't love the fights. They can't break down the fights. They don't see what you're doing in the ring. They don't know any of that. But they understand the chitter-chatter. So knowing that 90% of boxing people are drawn to the soap opera stuff and only 5% can watch the fight and understand what's going on. How do you keep the laser focused knowing that there's this thing going on around you that most people are going to ask you about that and not about your skill set? Man, I got somebody 18 and 0 undefeated in my trying to beat me in front of my home team. Man, that's all the motivation I need to stay focused, you know? And then I have a lot of support back at home, so I, I want to always put on a good performance. So I always want to, you know, put on a put on a good fight for the fans. So that's just enough motivation for me to stay focused right there. The outside talk, we can talk about it later or whenever the fight's done. But for for until then, obviously, just try to stay focused and locked in. When you when you a boxer, you just know how to lock into that mode and just know how to get in there. Like when that when that story dropped, I really wasn't even reading the blog. I really didn't read them. I really was just you know. Staying off social media. When I'm in training, I really don't even try to be on social media as, as much like that. I really just try to get on one time a day and just get, get right back off. I'm not really a big social media type person anyway. So whatever they were saying, I probably didn't even read it. But so, mm. well, I think what makes you so interesting is I believe you were the youngest Olympian in 2016. If I'm, you were the youngest right. person and you to be where you're at you have to have a level of focus that's different than right. other people because you're not really supposed to be on that Olympic team. You were the youngest guy. You right. find your way on. 
And I assume right. you do a lot of like, it, this is kind of on you. You have great coaches around you, but you also have to have a different level of focus where you zone in and you've done international competition. And in many ways, like the amateurs prepped you for moments like this, because in the amateurs, I don't assume you could be on your phone or do a lot of stuff because you have to assume any person that comes at you is a threat. Right. And I th- like you said, uh, just like, like you said, it takes a different level of focus. You 17 going against men, 25 and 28, 27, 21. I'm 17. So I got to always had to tap into a different mentality and just to a different mode, just for me to compete at that such a high level at such a young age. It just goes to show like how determined and hungry and disciplined I was throughout my whole career. And for something like this to happen, that's small. Some dispute outside of boxing, and then when you got a uh, knowing you got a fight coming up and everything's on the line, that's that's small compared to this big fight that I got where everything's on the line. So I can really just tune that out like it's nothing. Well, I also think that like you've, I put out on Twitter, I've come so far, but I don't want to come far, come this far just to go this far. Basically, I messed up, right. but basically, you don't want to. What I'm saying is, I. I've gotten to a point in my life where I didn't come this far just to come this far and say, okay, this is as far as right. I'm coming. And what I get with big Conwell right. is you didn't just get to be on a Jake Paul card. That's one of the most popular cards out there just to say, I fought on a Jake Paul card. Like this is not right. your, this is not your super bowl. You want to do well right. and you want this to keep going because you put a lot right. of time into this. Yeah. I feel like, like this right here, this was a start. Of, this fight gonna be a start of something new. Uh, push me forward to bigger and better things. So, I, me just doing doing what I usually do, just continue to win and continue to dominate and just do what I do. It's just gonna keep propelling me more and more. Like you said, this is a big stage. I get a lot of exposure. I get a lot of eyes watching, and then I just can't wait to be honest. I think this will catapult me into a better opposition. What has um? Or actually, let me rephrase this. I I did the thing where I got myself confused. I did uh, I did sparring and I got myself my feet tangled up in the sparring session with my brain. Um, what type of performance do you feel you need on this card to make a statement? I just need to keep dominating, man. Just keep dominating and just keep showing people what I got. You know, just keep going in my bag, showing different things, showing different flashes of different things. I can break the yard down. I can jab. I can use my right hand. I can use footwork. I can, you know, use have good defense. I can just, you know, be an all-around good fighter and then just end the show well. You know what I'm saying? Just end the show with a bang. That's getting a knockout. That's getting a TKO. That's dropping the guy 15 times. He gets up 15 times. Whatever it is, just me ending this show with a bang and just me just showing his levels to where he is and where I am is just going to that's all I need to show that I'm on the next level and I'm ready for bigger and better competition on Twitter at Mario four one five. That's Mario Cabrera from the Bay shout out to him. And he's also a very good music producer. He's got some slaps. So if anyone needs to buy a rap beat, buy one from Mario, he's got some songs on deck. He says your fight. I can't pronounce the guy's name against the on ring city USA. He felt was your best performance. He's curious. What do you think as a pro was your best performance in the ring? I can say that was my that was probably my best performance so far. That's I feel like I showed a lot in that in that fight. I feel like that was a tough opponent, and he and I showed that I was a level above him, and I, I eventually got him out of there. So and I showed like a lot of different skills and a lot of different things I could I could do, and I just feel like 
he was just like, a, he had like a good amateur background. He was supposed to be a tough opponent and I just made it look easy. I mean, you did a vintage Conwell performance where you just have him on the ropes <laughs> and you're just beating the hell out of him and dudes are making heavy breathing. <laughs> it's like, don't bring the parents into the house because when Conwell's yeah, fighting, dudes are heavy breathing because you're digging in those guts. Pause. Right. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, that's, that's right. like, like when you start doing your thing and if someone doesn't like adjust, it is so bad. Yeah. Like it is so bad because yeah. he was doing his little awkward jump around kind of thing. And then when you got going, it just felt like it was yeah. down city. Yeah, for sure. Once I, it's like once I get, once I get going, it's it's over with. Like I'm in a whole different mode. It's like, it just everything just clicks, and I just get keep getting better and better as the rounds go on. You feel like an old school fighter, like an Ezra Charles, like an old school butt whooper. Where like <laughs> like you you're built for a 15 round fight, but like you're in this modern era where everyone's flashy. And, like, you got cool hand speed and all that, but I think what makes you a different type of fighter is you really want to impose your will on someone, and you will use skill to do that, but, like, your willpower is different than other people. And I feel like so far you haven't met someone who their will matches up to your will in the ring. Uh, Maybe, maybe not, but I feel like, like you said, I just want to win that bad. I want to win. That bad. I want to have a good showing that bad. Like I want to show people I'm, I'm, I'm good like that bad. Like I'm a great fighter that bad. I want to show that. I want to keep proving that. I got fight with a chip on my shoulder every time because I feel like I don't get the respect that I deserve. So every time I go out, I got to fight with a chip. I got to prove a point. I got to have a good outing. I can't. It's just every, every time I just, is the fights get, the fights can get bigger and bigger. And I just got to keep showing people that I'm that guy. Like I'm, I'm the guy who can, who's, going to be number one for sure well i think that it's a shame because you're an american hero you know you're a u.s olympian you're a symbol of hope you were the youngest Mm -hmm. guy on the olympic team i I haven't heard of people coming from cleveland heights and making the olympics so i mean Mm -hmm. it's not like a a factory that makes u.s olympians cleveland heights and you've moved you move between where you live and toledo ohio you sacrifice everything and I do wish the sport would give you a little bit more praise because you've given an awful lot. But I guess this is just the nature of being successful. It takes a while for people to realize the 20 or so years you put into the game. Right. And I, I mean, I know a lot of people say everybody's career is different. And they are. A lot of people get pushed different. A lot of people get promoted different. A lot of people got different styles and different fighters, different promotional companies and things like that. But when you when you see good boxing, you know good boxing. And you should support good boxing. It don't matter who you with, who you are, or what kind of push you got. I feel like if people like like boxing, they love good boxing. They should just support who's really a a great boxer or a good boxer who can who's showing a lot, who's doing a lot, and who respects the sport. So, if but in this day and age, you got to be social media. You got to be you got to talk crazy. You got to do all that. And for me, I'm like you said, I'm humble. I'm laid back. That's me doing something like that. When even, that's not even in my character. That's not even in my style. So I just, I'm just trying to win the fans the right way by being a great boxer and doing, winning them and winning fights and winning big fights and, and just, you know, dominating the sport. So I'm trying to do it the right way. Social media come when it comes. 
Well, I think the other issue you didn't touch on too is like we got people that are like, I'm matchroom. I'm team matchroom. Well, I'm team PBC. Well, I'm team top rank. And it's like, come on, y'all. Let's just be team boxing. Like we don't got to right. pick a network. We can watch all the fights. Like it's the strangest right. thing. It's like boxing promoters are turning into sports teams. Well, I only watch the Cleveland Cavaliers. It's like, come on, bro. You can watch Conwell this weekend, and then you can watch whoever's fighting next weekend. Then you can fight, watch whoever's right. fighting. You don't got to pick a team. But now people are so right. divided. They're like, I had someone come on the show once, and they were a media member, and they go, who's he signed with? Like that mattered if they were going to like him or not. And I go, wait, why does it matter right. who they're signed with? Like they're a fighter, and they're good. Right. But that's right. – that's an issue I feel is affecting boxing right now. Yeah, for sure. I feel like everybody, I'm pretty sure everybody had their favorite networks or what, uh, what network they like to fight, watch fights on. But if it's a good fight, you should just watch it because it's a good fight. It don't matter, like you said, what network it's on. If it's a good fight, just tune in because it's a good fight. Don't not watch because it's on this channel or it's on streaming or whatever. If you like good fights and you like boxing, you should watch the fight. So, like you said, I don't know. It's kind of crazy. Like you said, maybe. Hopefully that's, that trend stops and people just start watching fights and not uh, networks. Oh, no, man. We're going to a weird place where I hear more people tell me about negotiations than I hear fist fights. And I, I didn't come into boxing to talk about numbers and stats. I came into this to watch people get get into some fights. I believe you spent some of your camp uh, training with Tony Harrison. Do you have a Tony Harrison story? just from knowing him over the years? Man, I remember uh, when I first went down there, I mean, for the first Charlo, I ain't going to say when I went first. I remember for the first Charlo fight, I was in this camp. And I wasn't even supposed to be in this camp. I just came down for some work. And then uh, we just got some crazy good rounds in, crazy good rounds in. And I was not his sparring partner at the time. I just came down for some sparring because I had a fight coming up or whatever. And next thing you know, I'm his chief sparring partner for the whole camp. I'm like, man, what the? How did I even get here? But it was like great rounds, and we were just pushing each other. And it was just crazy because we I never expected to be a chief sparring partner for uh, Tony for that for that for that fight. And you see what happened. He won. So if uh, I feel like. I was a, I was a big help in that fight, and, I, and that right there, the sparring that I gave him, really helped him in that fight. What makes Tony a great fighter? I think he got good. I think he got good, uh, good boxing skills. I think he got good few work, and he's a real good boxer. And he talks a good game too. He he he, he gets in your head real good too. He he can talk he can talk about your game. I'd be curious to see how you two get interact because like, you're just kind of like, you're about the business and Tony can talk a little bit. I'd be curious to see how, do you ever, do you ever talk back in sparring or are you just cool customer? Uh, sometimes it depends. It depends on how the sparring going. I really don't talk back that much, but if I'm, if they talking like too much, then I have to talk back. But if it's just like, they just saying things here and there, I just stay quiet. Maybe just, do a little smirk or something like that and just, you know, do me. Okay. Just rounding out and finishing up this interview. Talk about, uh, what was this camp? Like, I know, uh, WAP had gotten a win recently on Showbox. Mm-hmm. you know, your half brother. And I know Roe has been working with you and big O what's the dynamics been like in the gym, kind of just getting ready for this bout. Uh, like you, like you said, it was, um, 
it was we was focusing uh I was still in the gym but we were helping Zwap get ready for his fight. So that was a good experience. My brother that was the biggest fight of his career so far and he did a great job and put on a master class of boxing. But then after that it was O'Shea with the Olympics and then, you know, it was me. So it it was just like a lot of good positive vibes going back to back to back. And I'm excited. It's my turn now. It's my turn to put on for the team. It's my turn to put on for the gym and show all the hard work we've been doing. I know they did it. Uh, Bob got the W. O'Shea got the bronze medal. Now it's my turn to bring back my dub and just continue to show how great our gym is and how how well we are. Yeah, I mean, it's incredible. You have back-to-back Olympians. Like, that's not very common. Um, Why did Whopperton try to bang with the guy in the first round? Whopperton had me really scared, and then he went on the boxing thing, and I'm like, "Thanks, thanks, Wop. Just don't, don't find out how hard this guy hits, man." Like that's what I was saying on my TV. I'm like, "Wait, this, this is real fifty-fifty right now." And then Wop got on his back right. foot, and then had one, like you said, a masterful performance. But he scared, he scared mm-hmm. Uncle Lukey real early in that fight because he was kind of, it looked like he was trying to figure out what the guy had. Yeah, he he want he wanted to get knockout himself. And he, I think he was a little anxious, you know, when it's your first TV fight, his first fight's my undefeated. So I think he's a little anxious. But I, I would, man, you should have seen me. I know y'all see me in the background <laughs> of the fight. I was so nervous. I was, I couldn't stop moving. I thought I was in the ring. Man, that was a crazy fight. I hate seeing people I fight. I mean, people I train with fight and, and, and stuff like that. I just get so nervous. Like I'm in there. Like it's crazy. I got like such an attachment to everybody in the gym. He don't fight. I, weaving punches on the side and blocking punches for him. I mean, there's a couple of fighters, but I think you're up there with me where when you fight, even if it's an outmatched opponent, I don't even really enjoy watching it because I'm like, ah, man, Charles fighting. I just want him to win. Like, I want this to be over because it's like you feel so you feel I feel like I have no control over it, but I want you to be okay. And it's like I get what you're saying because I'm like, I want Charles to be okay. And, like, I want to watch it out of respect, but this is, like, kind of hard to watch because it's, like, it's pain. Right. You don't want to, like, I get what you're saying because it's, it's like, it weighs, like, when I'm at a fight and it's someone I care about, I'm walking all around everywhere. I, I hate just sitting and, like, being in the crowd. Man, and then I was next to his promoter and his family was right there. I just kept getting up and down. I wanted to move away from him. It was, man, it was crazy. <laughs> what what about O'Shea? Um, obviously, you both are Olympians. Uh, did you watch the fights? And did you have any thoughts? I thought that the fight that she lost was very controversial. Uh, the girl was pushing her head down. But at the same time, mm-hmm. I don't think the U.S. gets any breaks in the Olympics. So I don't expect anything like that. Yeah, for sure. Me neither. Uh, I feel like when this fight is close, they're always going to give it to the other country anyway. But when it's not going, not if it's not like just a real strong dominant performance, I feel like they don't never give the Americans the 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 the, the edge. They'll never give it to them. I feel like you always gotta prove like win like unanimous to get like a decision or something like that. It's never really a fair shake. But I think she did good. She went out there and did her thing. She fought a lot. She fought t- top girls. I wanted to see her fight the, the girl in the finals. I wanted to see the turkey so girl, the the Busanazi. Uh, man, I wanted to see that so bad. She she was good. She was good though, for real. Sir Manelli. Yeah, she she was good for real. I wanted to see them fight so bad, but once the decision came, I kind of 
sometimes you just get like a feeling like when you know something that's not about to go go the way that it should go. So, and I kind of got that feeling, but I knew she was gonna medal regardless anyway. And I just hope I just wanted her to fight in the finals against the Turkish girl because that was gonna be a real good fight. Well, that's I was just I was talking to my mom, and everyone knows I'm a mama's boy. But I was talking to her, and we were watching the Olympics together. She came over to the house, and I was like, "Man, this finals is gonna be whack now." Because without Shay in the yeah. finals, it's like this girl is just going to get run through. Like, she can't stop that oh. Turkish girl. Not at all. And that's why I, I didn't even get the, I didn't even watch the final fight. I'm not even going to lie. I didn't watch it, but I already knew what was going to happen. Like you said, it was, it's just levels. Like, it wasn't going, that wasn't going to work. I'm a Canadian lightweight. My name is Lucas Body. I uh, fight at 135 pounds. 10 and 0 as a professional, 10 knockouts, uh, extensive amateur career, Canadian champion multiple times. Yeah, that, 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 that's about it. I mean, uh, just waiting, waiting for some fights to happen around uh, here, wherever. I'm willing to travel and start making a big name for myself. Okay, so I got a bunch of boring questions for you. Let's just run through the sitting on stock questions so you can just do what everyone asks you. When did you start boxing? Um, about 13 years old, 13, 14 years old. And what was the reason? Born fighter. Just an aggressive kid that wanted to fight. Okay, I respect it. So you're the guy that was beating people up at the lunch line and stuff. So uh, when did you That's realize it. you were good? <laughs> uh, you know what? I, I was an athlete, so I, as a beginner, I was always, I was a, a, a good beginner, obviously. But uh, when I realized I was good, it was probably 2010. Yeah, 2010, 2011 was when I started really taking it serious. So just 11 years ago. Okay, that's a that's a long time. And you, uh, anyone that knows me knows I'm super amateur boxing nerd, which is probably going to blow your mind because who even cares about amateur boxing? It's like, why would you even be deep diving? But I'm curious about, A, your Olympic trial situation, but B, because I saw the chemistry cup and that you had competed and all that stuff. You've got a wealth of um, competition that you had fought amateur, but also international competition which is not all that common for elite level pro fighters. Um, I'm just curious because I, I tried to watch a video kind of on the situation, but I just didn't kind of understand it. It, it sounded kind of like there was another fighter and it, it was basically in America, the Javier Martinez situation with Joseph Hicks, where there was a big old mix up and then another fighter kind of got your spot. So basically what happened was uh, <clears throat> I was, I was the number one seed, uh, I was a 2015 national champion, uh, 2016 national champion. And basically what happened was you have the Olympic box office in your country. And after that, then you go to the actual Olympic trials. So at, right before the Olympic box off, I injured uh, my rib. I, had, I separated my ribs in sparring. And uh, I wasn't able to compete. I was out for three months. It was a disaster. But uh, being being the number one seed, I thought, you know, it like, shouldn't hold me back. I should still have an opportunity once I'm ready. And I I filed an appeal 
they denied my appeal. And it was such a short window of time where we had our Canadian box off and then the Olympic trials was like two months later, not even, right? So it was, it was, uh, it was a short window. So once I, you know, they denied my appeal, I would have had to go to court and, you know, spent a ton of money in that short time. So like, it, it was, it was just uh, one of those things that like I couldn't make happen because of the, the short window. So everyone thought, you know, my chance is over. And I thought, you know what? No, like this, this can't be right. Like I, I got to go, you know, whether I, I miss, the first one, I want to go to the second one. So long story short, I missed the first one, which was in Argentina, the Olympic qualifier, the continental Olympic qualifier. And the guy that went in my place was the bronze medalist at the nationals. He didn't even, I didn't even get a chance to fight me in the finals because he lost in the semis and I destroyed the kid that beat him. So I didn't end up going to that qualifier. I went to the nationals again and I destroyed everybody. Uh, I had a great tournament. I won every fight easily, stopped a couple guys. And then uh, I thought, okay, I got to go to Azerbaijan, which was the world championships. It's the last Olympic qualifier. It happens usually in the summer, usually in June. So they had a dual meet. Uh, in April and they were basing everyone's performance in, on this, in this dual meet on who's going to go to the last Olympic qualifier in Argentina or sorry, in uh, Azerbaijan for the world championships. So in my head, I thought this is my opportunity. I thought, I thought this was it. So I'm like, Hey, I got to perform. I'm training my ass off, ready to kill this guy. I was fighting Germany. And they were sending me. So I was, I was fucking pumped, man. Long story short, actually, I, I had fucking, it was a roller coaster events. I mean, when I got there, uh, I made way after the weigh-in, started drinking my Pedialyte, go for breakfast. Two minutes later, puking my brains out. This is before the fight, day of the fight. What the heck was that? I take a nap. I go grab lunch, eat my lunch. In the middle of lunch, I'm like, holy shit, I'm going to puke again. I go and puke. Puke my brains out. I got nothing in my system. At this time, I'm like, holy fuck. Like, what is going on? This is my opportunity to go to the Olympics, and I can't even eat. Like, I'm, I'm sick. Take another nap. I end up getting a protein bar in before the fight. And uh, I'm like doesn't matter i just i'm trying to forget about everything long story short i get in there i knock this guy out have an amazing performance i knock him out in the second round i'm excited as hell i'm going to azerbaijan they can't deny me well week, weeks go by i'm sending emails down the line i'm sending emails to boxing canada what's going on who's going to who's going blah 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 and they're they're just stalling. They're just stalling. Yeah, we don't know yet. We're still we're still in the selection process, this and that. About three three weeks before, they send out the list. They didn't tell us who was going until three weeks before. They send out the list. Before they 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 sent out the list, they called me to let me know. And I lost it. I'm like, are you like are you guys fucking kidding me? This is this is bullshit. 
you know, like you guys base, you guys are basing our performances during this duel meet. Who's going to the last one? He lost in Argentina. I should be getting my shot. I'm the number one seed. Number, I'm the champion. Two years, the last two years. So like, what, what, what's going on? You know, and they're just, you know, they're saying, oh, well, he's got more experience. How does that make a difference? You should have had us fight. They never, we never, they never had us. So they, they just, they just screwed me up. And then, you know, and then like the week of the fight, they're like, you know, stay ready because we don't know if he's going to be ready. He hurt his shoulder and it was just a disaster. Well, I didn't end up going. They, they sent him to the, to the Azerbaijan. He lost his first fight. And that was the end of that in 2016. And uh, I was actually planning on sticking around for 2020. I, I, I won the nationals and again, and uh, I moved to Montreal, centra uh, centralized there. And uh, in 2018, end of 2018 is when they got rid of 60 kilograms in the Olympics. So I had to step it up, which was 63 kilos, not a big deal. The only issue is, you know, I had, I had a roadblock. I had a guy, the national team coach, his fighter was in my division and, and uh, he was a guy protected and at the beginning of 2019, that's when I said, you know what, they're just going to do it to me again. They're not going to give me a chance. They're not going to let me fight them. I said, fuck this. I'm out of here. I'm turning professional. And uh, I had my professional debut, uh, May, 2019. And that, it all began then. Well, that was a great, now we have the backstory. Now let's get to the present. So now you're 10 and 0, 10 knockouts. It looks like you've kind of taken control of your career. You've, you haven't, um, you, you've got yourself the fights. How did the pandemic affect your career? Because it seems like you're a man who always has roadblocks in your way and you turn pro here you are, you're about to get these big fights and then the pandemic comes and Canada, for the best of my knowledge in America, locked down its borders. I'm not sure how that affected you, but, um, how did that affect uh, getting fights? Uh, I mean, it, it was very tough. And basically, uh, I was, when I turned professional, my plan was to fight as much as possible. And uh, if you look at my box track, you can see how busy I really was in the, in the first year until, obviously, the pandemic hit in March 2020. So my first nine months, I had nine fights. I was fighting every month. I was I, was, I did it all on my own. I was calling promoters, calling people. How could I get on the show? Where could I get the fight? I was making things happen to myself. And uh, I did that all by myself. So I even had my own show in my hometown city. I promoted my own show with, uh, with another promoter. We did a co-promotion. So I was extremely busy. And uh, I was actually planning to have a big fight here in my hometown, Niagara Falls, Ontario, in uh, last, uh, last not, not this last May, but the May before, May 2020. And it was going to be for uh, a title that would have gotten me ranked in the top 10, top 15. And uh, I was hoping to take off from there. And obviously, everything shut down for a few months there. And they started picking it up slowly. But I ended up having my last fight in uh, November 2020. And... Um, now I'm I'm looking to fight again ASAP, and once I once I start again, I'm I'm gonna be on a rampage. I'm gonna be fighting as much as I can and uh, wherever I can. I'm, I want to go to come to the states. That's my that's my goal for this year. Is 
is to have a couple fights in space. Yeah, that's a good goal. I mean, your origin story is eerily reminiscent of Teofimo Lopez's story that um, kind of birthed his movement of the takeover, where he's like, okay, originally it was against all odds. The, he felt like everything was against him, and then he brought the takeover. It was kind of like his vengeance towards you can't stop me from knocking people out. You can't um, hold me back. I kind of get the feeling that um, you're you're in this lightweight division and you're a fight or two away from making a big statement if you're in the position to get that fight. A hundred percent. It's um, just a matter of time, you know, and I, I always keep that in my head. Just a matter of time. It's going to happen for me. You know, I got, I, I got it all. I got the talent. I got the punch of power. I got the speed. I got, I got it all. I'm at that level. I've had the experience in the amateurs. I had, I had some experience in the pros now. So I, it's like, you, like you said, I'm just one or two fights away from a big fight, and that's when I take off. I actually had a conversation with TSBMO in, in the amateurs back in 2015 at, uh, in a tournament actually in Venezuela. And at the time, he was fighting for Honduras. I, I was sitting on the bus with him and his dad. So, yeah, I mean, uh, it worked out for him, and now, now it's my time. So I'm waiting for uh, the opportunity to rise. Do you... Is there, like, do you look back upon that conversation or do you look at, like, maybe a Teofimo and see what he's accomplished and know it's possible based off of that's a similar situation? Yeah, I mean, uh, 100% is possible. I got, a, I got a ton of confidence myself and uh, I know what I'm capable, capable of. And, and uh, I mean, like I said, I'm at that level that those guys are at. It's just a matter of time before uh, the, world, the world sees it, right? I just got to get the opportunity to get, get some fights, get some big fights. And uh, things are going to take off for me. Okay. So I asked like the same question twice. I apologize for that. Um, at lightweight, what will it take to get you? Like, obviously you want some form of a belt to get you in the top 15, whatever, like an international belt or some sort. But are you looking at any type of like you want an aging veteran or a former world champion? Are there any kind of guys that you're looking at because you really want you need to burst onto the scene with a guy where someone has some form of emotional attachment tuning in on a Saturday night to seeing them and then seeing you perform against them? For sure, for sure. Those are the guys that that uh, I'm going to be looking at. Guys like you know, guys that fought for world titles or or guys like for instance uh like like a Hank Lundy, someone like that. Mm-hmm. You know that that's who I'm looking to fight right away. Like my next fight, I'm 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 ready for that. So um, guys who you know pre like I could I could just go on box rec and see who Tiafimo, who Devin Haney, who they fight, and just fight the guys that they fight. You know what I mean? And just that would show show people where I'm at. That's like the old matchmaker trick: get you in the ring with Antonio Moron who Devin Haney had that spectacular knockout against, or maybe get that Mason Maynard fight. Uh, I know he's fighting this weekend. You know what I mean? And like, there's the comparable opponent. That's like the old matchmaker trick. Exactly. And and you know what? You can't reinvent the wheel. So that's what it's about. So I got to ask you, uh, what was your toughest fight in the amateurs? In the amateurs. My toughest fight was in Mexico at uh, the Pan American Game Qualifier. I fought this 
Argentinian that was just relentless and and uh, we had an incredible fight and it was like it was definitely the toughest fight uh I had I thought I I thought I pulled it off I I, I lost a fucking split decision two one decision it's it's one of those one of those fights that you know it was it was very close but I thought I won we had an absolute war I threw I threw uh over 400 punches in this fight. First round, I threw like 160 punches. Second round, I threw like 150 punches. And uh, I was I was absolute. I've never been so tired in my life. And they weren't just tap punches. I started in the front of the ring with this kid, and we banged it out. Like we, I was throwing bombs. Like it was 160 bombs I was throwing in that first round. 150 bombs I was throwing in the second round. By the end of the second round, I was dead. I remember my coach putting the stool down, and I was like, my my legs were like giving out, like they were jello. And uh, it, it was, I fought with pure heart in the third round. Like it was, it was absolutely insane. But I thought I won the first two, and I lost the close third round. I thought I should have got the split, but uh, they ended up giving it to him. It it was an incredible fight, though. I I still remember it to this day. Just insane i've never been so tired in my life give me a good gym story good gym story <laughs> holy like what kind of story like sparring? i mean i mean you've spent half of your life in a boxing gym so i mean there should be a story that probably comes to your mind where you're like oh do you remember that one time like i don't know a barbershop story from the gym hmm that's a good question. I'm a gentleman in the ring in sparring, so nothing usually gets out of hand. Um, only one time, actually, you know what? I could tell you a story. My first time ever sparring. <laughs> You're gonna love this one. <laughs> so, I was I was a bully, right? Like I just wanted to fight kids. And when I was grade nine, I uh, I remember kids, people always used to tell me, when you go to high school, you're going to get beat up, right? And I'm just like, good, I can't wait. Like, let's fight. <laughs> and I remember in grade nine, I had a problem with this kid, or he had a problem with me, whatever. Uh, he was in grade 11. So he's a couple years older than me, and he was, he was way bigger than me. He was probably 30, 40 pounds heavier than me. And uh, a lot taller than me. And we had a problem at school. I at the time I just started boxing, right? I'd just been boxing a few months, and uh, this is like the first month of high school. And he uh, he shows up at the at the boxing gym, and uh, my coach Billy Irwin at the time came up to me and said, "Hey, do you want to spar this guy? He wants to spar you." And I said, "Hell yeah! Like let's do it." And I I never sparred before, so I didn't know how to spar. To me, it was a street fight. This guy wants to spar me, he wants to fight me. So I ended up getting geared up and uh, I ended up, I didn't know how to throw a jab. So it was all right hands, all big fucking right hands. And I'm just trying to rip this kid's head off. I was just way too fast for him. I was a better athlete. And I gave him a beating, like just gave him a beating. It was, and his head gear was flying everywhere and I was still swinging at him. 
And everyone that was watching, you know, like the coaches, they didn't like that, right? Like, they, who the hell is this cocky kid walking in the gym, you know, like a bully, right? Trying to kill people. So I destroyed this kid in one round, gave him two black guys, like just a beatdown. And Billy, Billy Irwin, he, he was an ex-professional fighter, uh, ex-Olympian too. He takes the kid out of the ring and Billy puts the gloves on and hops in the ring. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, what the heck? All right. So I'm starting to spar Billy and Billy's got his hands up, just guard up and I'm bombing at him. And in my head, I'm like, oh, I'm beating up the coach. <laughs> what the fuck's going on? Right? <laughs> I'm swinging bombs and he's just blocking, just blocking. And I'm, and I'm like, what, why is he throwing punches back? Right. I just, I just didn't get it. And, uh, at the 32nd bell rang, 10 seconds was up and he just boom, left hook to the body. And I went down. <gasps> I'm like, oh my God, right? I'm on the ground and I just, I remember I was like, what the heck was that? I didn't know what he hit me with. And uh, I was on the ground, didn't get up. (laughs) And I remember going home that night and I said, holy man, I got to learn how to hit someone like that. Like that was, that was paralyzed me. I couldn't believe it, right? First time ever getting hit with the left hook to the body. And, uh, I showed up the next day and I, I told Billy, I said, I want to learn how to throw that punch. Like, that, that killed me. And, uh, yeah, like, that's, that's when I, I knew I wanted to fight. And that's when they realized this kid's a fighter. Like, most kids wouldn't come back, right? Well, that, they always told me growing up, if you want to lose a gym member, make them spar. And then all of a sudden you lose a paying customer because the minute they spar, all of a sudden people aren't are are nervous or they start acting weird when they get hit. It's like they well, they don't a, realize you get hit in the sport. They don't realize you get hit. <laughs> but it was always told like I was always told like okay if people are paying like maybe you can get in or somebody can get in with them and you let them throw punches at you but you never let them get into competitive sparring because they're paying so you don't want to mess yeah, that yeah. up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> would you say boxing um helped like helped you as a person because i i also heard in that story you you were kind of a bully and it seems like the sport of boxing caught you a bit of, taught you a bit of discipline and it kind of got you to the next level that you needed to be in life big time big time i i, I was an aggressive kid just loved loved to fight whether it was at school wherever it was and when I started boxing, I completely stopped fighting outside the ring. So it uh, it gave me that discipline too, right? Like, especially when I started taking it really serious, you know, I can't tell you how many, how many fights I've walked away from on the street, you know, just, just in my, in my head, you know, it's not worth it. What, what am I going to do? Fight this bump for what? To prove what to who, right? Hurt my hands, you know, hurt him badly, get charged. You know what I mean? Like, it just, so it really, yeah, it really showed me like, you know, it's, it's not worth it. Why fight outside the ring? Prove what? You know, like, I don't got to be, I know I'm going to beat him up. Who got to prove it to? Nobody. So, yeah, that def- definitely helped me. I mean, it's, uh, it's calmed me down too. I was, I was, uh, you know, a hothead too. So I, uh, I don't lose my temper anymore. I just, you know, I let things slide. I don't, I don't care. 
I get that hothead energy from you, but I'm, I'm feeling it. I like that in a fighter where there's a little bit of the hothead aggression. <laughs> like you don't, like I always say, you don't want to interview too nice of a fighter because then you start to get worried because there needs to be a little bit of like an edge. Final question is I want to know like what your management team is, um, your training situation. And if at all you're working with a promoter, if you're a self promoter, what's that situation, the boring side of boxing, the business side, what is that? So, so Phil LaGreco is my manager, and uh, I got David Itzkovich as, as my advisor. So we're working as a team right now to basically we're looking to get signed with – we're, so, we're looking to sign a promotional deal with, uh, you know, one of, the, one of the big dogs in the game right now. Uh, my trainer is Stevie Bailey. He, he's my boxing coach. And, um, yeah, that, that's basically my team right now. So we're, we're um, like I said, we're, we're looking to sign a promotional contract, hopefully by the end of this year, um, if, if things go the way we plan, um, with other, you know, people like Top Rank or, or Eddie Hearn or wh- whoever it may be, um, we're looking to uh, get on that big stage. Well, you have a powerful team behind you. You have people that know what they're doing, uh, both of the people in in charge of your career have been around the sport for a long time and they've had success and they've been on big stages. So that's really a big plus for you. And the other plus I think from a business standpoint is it's an Olympic year. Companies are bringing on talent, you know, and you've got a record, you've got a record that's 10, you got 10 wins. It's all knockouts. You're established. They don't have to invest as much to get you going. You're, you're there almost, you know? So I think that's very appealing to a company. Exactly. Exactly. I uh, I totally agree. I mean, uh, like everybody wants knockouts, right? And and my style of fighting, I mean, there's going to be knockouts, whether it's me or it's him. So I'm I'm re- I'm willing to to stand in front of the and stand in front of anybody and, and trade with them. So I mean, uh, we'll. Uh, We'll see what happens in the near future, and hopefully I uh, can start fighting, get, get some televised fights, and uh, take it from there. How you been, though, man? I'm chilling, bro. I'm just wearing a polo shirt, but we had to get my man Kane on because you're turning pro, and you know we support all things Northern California. Man, we're a Northern California supporter, and since you're a Northern California resident, we got to be behind you 100%. Kane, welcome to the show. Man, how you doing, Luke? And for sure, man, I feel like you're, like, the only one that for real, like, represents us, like, always, like, puts our content out there. Like, we're kind of undermined, unlike uh, South Cali, how they have, like, everybody over there. Like, you're the only one that keeps our content out there. Well, I'm not going to throw shade at anyone. I know there's other good outlets, but, you know, we can only do we can only do what we do. And we're trying to shine the light because we believe in people like Kane Sandoval. They're coming up. Uh, how did you get this pro fight, and how is this coming about? Um, and I guess three questions in one. How's camp been? You were telling me you were a little burnt out last time we talked. We were in COVID, going through oh. the motions, and now you're a professional and you're doing it. Just kind of talk me through this. Well, my coach Marcus Carriero, he he set it up, and like, when was our uh, last one? Last time we talked, like last year, October ish. Was it last year? It was last year. I forgot when, but I was, I was hella heavy. I wasn't, I wasn't really in the best shape at all. 
a little but bit bigger. Got, we'll say you were a little bit big. Yeah, I was. Yeah, compared to the how I'm gonna look like side to side, it's gonna look. I'm gonna look. What's it call it? Right now, I'm like one thirty, one thirty six. Right there in that video where I was talking with you, I was hella heavy. I'm talking about like sixty plus probably. But anyways, yeah, my coach set it up. He uh got in touch with some managers. They got me a good fight and a good car too. And it's this sold out event at the hangar. Costa Mesa. So it's gonna be a good show. Well, let's talk about that because there's a lot of people out there who were in your situation, man. COVID hit. They got a little bit bigger than they didn't. They didn't look like how they used to look. They got a little heavy. And if you look at my man, Kane Sandoval, he got on a fitness journey for his professional career. And now you're back in great shape. So how did you get motivated to get from that 60 pound to where you're at now? How did you get focused and lose that weight? Really, it's just like self-motivation, to be honest. I, I really didn't, I mean, I do have motivations in my life, but like, if I really didn't like make it like, oh, like, it's got to, this got to be a journey. Like, I was like, man, I just got to make it happen because ain't nobody else going to help me or ain't nobody else going to do it for me. So like, and plus like, I don't know. Like, now I think about it, I'm like, man, I really did that. I really, like, I really did that. I really rose above expectations. Some people thought, like, I was never going to box again. That I was, there were, some people thought that I was just boxing for the, for the fun of it. I'm like, now nah, I'm going to turn pro. They're like, you sure you're going to turn pro? I mean, you're kind of heavy. I'm like, wow, so I'm going to turn pro. And they're like, I kept going down, kept going down. And I guess just kept that the, when I seen the skill kept going down, it just motivated me more to keep going down. So you saw, you saw a direct correlation when you were putting hard work in the gym and you saw the numbers going down, that competitive nature that's made you a great fighter came through in a weight loss journey. Oh yeah, for sure. Okay. Well, what's, what has it been like now being a professional, knowing the headgear's off, knowing you're not paying to go to a national tournament, sitting in a hotel room for like a week and a half eating food. Now you're on a card where people can watch this card. It's a one night only thing. You're fighting. How did that change camp in training with Coach Marcus? Well, well, the it's impacting me a little bit because, like, nothing. I'm like, like I'm, I'm gonna go to this. I'm gonna fight five days. Like that's always I always thought when I used to go to these uh, tournaments. I'm like, man, I'm gonna go and fight a whole week. Damn, I gotta make weight every single day. But now it's just like you gotta make weight once and you can rehydrate and then you can sleep and then you fight the next day. So like. It's gonna be it's gonna be a experience, and hopefully, I think I'm gonna get used to it pretty fast. Cause I got used to the amateur game pretty fast. I like when I was eight years old, I started fighting at eight. No, I started fighting at seven. Like the first six months, I already had like twenty ten fights. So like, I think I think I'm gonna get adjusted to it pretty fast. I mean, it's it's just natural to me. Well, I think that what for me, what I I got from the last one was you have a young family. You love the sport of boxing and you hit a, a a point in amateur boxing where it just felt like a never ending journey where it's like, I've done this for a long time and I'm losing my love. And now you're a pro boxer and this is something new for you. Oh yeah. Well, I'm going to lie. I'm, I don't miss the amateur game at all. Like at all. Like see, like, yeah, I miss the moments I had in it, but I don't miss like, all the 
trouble in tribulations, all the politics. Just it's just it's just horrible. I felt like if I stayed in it long, long any longer, I probably would have like just like quit because like the it's just it's just hella bullshit in it to me. To me, it was because I've been in it for so long. Well, it's like, I feel like what I heard from you was like when I talked to someone that's had a job for 20 years and they just understand how to do their job, but they've lost a bit of the passion for the job because they've just done it for so long. At a certain point, you realize what's expected and how to do something. And then you're kind of like, okay, I can just do this and get here and go there and I can still be the best person there. And now going to the pros, I feel like you watch pro boxing. You watch Gervonta Davis. You watch this stuff. So knowing that you're in the same realm of what these great fighters are doing, that's something exciting for you. Whereas amateur boxing, the goal is the Olympics, which outside of me and like a few other people, no one really watched. Well, I didn't watch it either. I mean, I seen it on Instagram, like who won and stuff, but I was, I, I didn't really, it wasn't, it wasn't interesting to me. But, you weren't you weren't rocking with it that way. You weren't rocking to see who was doing what. You just wanted to see the highlight clips of Keyshawn stopping the French guy. Yeah, that type. Yeah, I was on like, oh man, this is gonna fight. I gotta watch it. I was just like, oh, he fought. I mean, the goal of the amateurs, the people that are saying the amateurs, like over there, twenty plus years old. The goal is the Olympics, obviously. So that that's it. Like you said, the amateurs. The goal is the Olympics, and my goal is wasn't the Olympics at all. I mean, I missed the Olympics by like a year anyways. The next Olympics, I'm going to be, what, 22? And I ain't trying to go to that. I'm trying to be that old and being still an amateur, you know? I think that's the thing. It's like it just comes down to how much do the Olympics mean to you. And I think that that, that's what it comes down to. For some people, they want to be an Olympian. For some people, they want to be a world champion. And I think that's why sometimes we don't see great amateur fighters become great pros. That, That is true. Like... When I was little, people were telling me, you're going to be an Olympian. I was like, oh, Olympics ain't my, my you know, and any my goal. People are like, you should go. You should, like, you should, like, make an Olympic run type stuff. Like, you know, like, be, because I told them I missed it. But last year, I missed, it was 2020. I missed the trials by a year because I was too young. But the dudes that were fighting, some that were fighting on the, that fought for the trials, I think, I fought two of them, and they're pretty good fights. So I'm like, so if I was, I was thinking to myself, I was like, if I was a year older, I probably would have been up there. But oh well. But like, my goal is not even that, anyways. My goal is to be world champion, a pro. So tell me, like, Sacramento's kind of going through a really weird place right now. It seems like it's as divided as anywhere ever. There's like a lot of, there's a lot of stuff going on in the city of Sacramento. Do you feel like as a fighter, you can be someone that can be a symbol of hope for young people in Sacramento? Because I think people in Sacramento, I've never seen Sacramento this violent. Like I've, I, I've never, I don't know. You grew up out there, but it seems like it's as violent as ever. And you chasing a professional dream as an athlete, I feel like is very inspirational to a lot of people because you're going to be readily available, available to people in this community. Yeah, I feel like that, that that's a that's a trying to be I'm trying to be like the hope that like there's a other way instead of game banging, slinging drugs, doing all this scamming like you know, you can't trap forever. There's 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 a bigger the bigger picture. That's how I see like 
I'm trying to be like the bigger picture. Like, oh, you could go chase your dreams. You could go travel other countries. You could do all this. You could travel like how I travel to tournaments. You could go travel to other states and see what, you know what I'm saying? Experience the tournaments. I feel like the tournaments really changed my perspective on how I see like the world. Even though I just went to like, let's say Utah, I was like a state away. Even that, uh, it changed me because I'm all used to this. I'm like, man, like, they're not over here jumping people. They're not over here slanging jugs. I mean, I didn't see that over there, but I'm over here, I'm over here like doing what I love. And like what people, I feel like people chase what they love, like their passion instead of like, cause man, I'm going to be being on topic cause like, I don't know how to say this cause like it's like hella shit. Like I've been wanting to say, say like this a lot, a long time. I feel like if people chase what they're truly passionate about and not get tied up in the street bullshit, SAC would be a better place. But man, it's just a lot of street politics, a lot of, a lot of shit. Well, I've been saying if people stopped carrying guns in their car and put some boxing gloves in the trunk and they had an issue and they threw the gloves at the other person, I think we'd fix a lot of problems because I think the big oh, issue yeah. is we got a lot of people who are afraid of a fist fight, but they're too eager to pull a, a trigger on a gun and impact someone's family. Nah, nah, there, there no, there's no fights no more at all. There's no fades. It's just straight shooting. I feel like a lot of people will have broken jaws if it came, came down to that, but the, it, ain't, it ain't like that over here. It's just, uh, for those that don't know, Sacramento, the, the gang violence is ridiculous right now. And I'm, I mean, it's like if you're in Northern California, I feel like every single person in Northern California has been affected by the gang violence in Sacramento because that's how much of an impact it has. And I view you coming from this generation as someone who young people can look at and they can relate to you. And you not being involved in this and not promoting that I think is major for young people because we're living in a time where people are just going on Instagram or going on YouTube and attaching themselves to figures that they view as cool. Right. I feel like, well, hopefully I'm a symbol of like, there's something else than the streets, you know, that's, that's my goal. And for, for my city, like, like, Damn. They even really think about this shit. It's like, you know what I'm saying? Well, I mean, it's real. It's This is a yeah, really heavy crazy. subject because it's yeah, like it people are really like when people, I don't think people understand because like they see rappers doing stuff and the songs sound cool, but it's not really rap music. It's just there's violence in Sacramento and some, some things depict it, but it's impacting people on a level and you're, you're trying to do good. And you're coming from these areas where this this is very relevant right now. Oh yeah, I mean, this the the gangs in in SAC is I mean it, it is more violent than ever. I remember I was talking to who was I talking to? I was talking to somebody, and they're like, "Oh, it feels like it's the '90s coming back." And I was like, "What do you mean by that?" I was like, "Man, '90s is popping over here. '80s is popping over here." I was like that. That the game violence is like it's coming back. I'm like, it's been coming back though. Like it was slowly, slowly starting coming back. But I feel like right now is at all time high though. I mean, my city's violent. It's a lot of human trafficking, all that shit. It's just 
I want to be that. That stuff goes hand in hand for people that don't know. It's like when there's murders, there's human trafficking, there's drug abuse. It's not just a one one stop issue. It's it's everything that's with a broken place. Then all the chaos, all the hyenas come out. They're like, oh, and make weird noises, and they're just trying to break apart communities. I'm trying to be the symbol of hope. Like, there's something else than just that. Like, some people, some kids, like some even people I grew up with, they're just used to that, and they're and they're just used to that, and they have, they can't all grow it because that's all they're used to. And I'm trying to be the symbol. Like, there, man, there's more out there. Not even just in boxing. Just there's more out there instead of all this violence. All this, there's literally more out there in the world. Mess up my phone. But um, I, I look at, like, not to get too deep, It's um, it really means a lot. Because I always think about, like, the show The Wire, which is probably I'm too old and you never saw it. But there was, like, a young 14-year-old kid. And it, you basically, the narrative of one season was, this is how he joined a gang. Like, people don't just wake up and they're a gang member. It's like there's series of traumatic moments that leads someone to go into street life. And there's an, uh, basically a lack of a family and they outline it. And I think that starting with your debut, I think the hope, right. Is a knockout, something sensational. People maybe look at your career and find motivation to be in the gyms or like you said, pursue a dream. And I think that's the overarching theme of the beginning of your career is to chase a dream. Like kind of like Meek Mill said, to be a dream chaser, to fake, find what you love and go after it. Yeah. I feel like, yeah, I've been getting a lot of love, much love then since I, since I turned, since people found out I was turning pro and I was thinking like, like, yeah, it's like, you know, this is what, this is what it's about. Like, even like people that are in the games that are doing that stuff. I mean, you gotta do what you gotta do to get, you know, yours, but even people that are in that, they're supporting me and I'm, and like you know, they know that like, uh, they know that I'm I'm gonna make it happen, and hopefully I do. You know, with all the hard work, everything comes together. Well, but like, why people support you is you're authentic to who you are. So I think anyone that is authentic will support you. My bad. No, you're 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 completely fine. So. Yeah, my bad. Phone's at twenty percent. I think my shoes charging. But I think just to get back to what I said, I think that it's about the authenticity. You don't try to be anything you're not. I, I don't. I don't think there's a there's a reason to to do, be doing that. You know. But some, I see some people that do that. But you know, to each his own. I just I just keep doing me training. You know, keep keep this grind because I gotta I gotta take my family. You know, to places. Gotta get them out of here. Got to get him to the, get him out the trenches. You know, can we can be here a lifetime? Definitely not, especially with a young child. You want to get into those different type of schools at a certain point. Right. What yeah. What has the camp been that's different than an amateur training camp? Like, what what made this camp different to you mentally, psychologically? Besides the weight loss, did you have to do anything different, or what was it? Uh. I mean, it wasn't that much different, but I feel like we worked more on obviously sitting down on our punches, not pitter-patter, 
I mean, we've been working on that for months now because back then he used to tell me, like, I used to just throw flowers and get out of there or throw a jab. I'm like, they're like, no, no, you got to you gotta measure, you know, got to move your waist, got to you gotta sit down and throw your punch. You got to pick your punches. I'm like, all right, all right. So I think we worked more on that. And we also, we're doing more, more sparring with pros or heavier guys. We're not just like, oh, this amateur dude's going to spar you. We're like, amateur or not. Okay. And then what would you say um, your motivation is right now at your career? My daughter. That's like one of them. Basically my family. My family and just give them a better future. Okay, state your name for the record and everything, and everything will be used against you. Hi there. Thanks for having me again. Um, my name's Elliot. Uh, right for a UK-based platform called Eat, Sleep, Boxing, Repeat. Um, we do a bit of US stuff, but most mostly UK stuff, whether it's fight previews, fight reviews, prediction videos, um, interviews with fighters, things like that. But yeah, we're quite quite active at the moment. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the website. You guys are making me more interested in UK boxing because I'm based in America. I basically just only watch American boxing because I feel like the whole world revolves around us. I think Chris Rock had a joke once or Cat Williams that said, Americans are so arrogant when our sports teams win a championship only in the U.S. We call them world champions. And that's kind of my view of boxing, but I'm trying to break that mold. Just for those listening, this is before the Jake Paul fight took place. We're recording on Sunday. It threw off the swagger. But I wanted to get you on, first and foremost, to break down to me Josh Warrington's journey to this point. Because I kind of have a general idea. I want to share my opinions, but I'd like to get the plight of Josh Warrington from you first. Sure. So Josh Warrington... um... I think up until his last fight was kind of getting to that point where he was, I think he was 30, you know, and I think when you get to a certain, that certain level, some people see you as, as invincible and don't see a way that you can possibly lose because you've gone undefeated and so many times. Um, I think starting from the beginning, he went maybe the more traditional route um, through boxing. I was winning kind of the English title, um, international titles and different, different governing bodies, bunch of other titles as well. And then when it came to him um, fighting for a world title, I think, believe three years ago against Lee Selby, managed to get that fight in his hometown of Leeds. I think he was the underdog in a lot of people's um, a lot of people's eyes, but yeah, managed to beat Lee Selby, who a great fighter was, but was perhaps done at featherweight at that time. The razzle-dazzle man. Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, and then from then on, fought Carl Frampton straight away afterwards, who, again, a lot of people thought Warrington was going to lose, um, managed to beat Carl Frampton in Manchester. And then, yeah, I think since then, I think had an awful fight against Kid Galahad, which some people thought he won, some people thought he lost. Um, and then, for whatever reason, relinquished his world title belt um, last year, beginning of this year, and then kind of went into a fight against a Mexican, who I think, as I said, because he was 30-0, because the Mexican was... 16 and two or something like that. Everyone kind of expected Warrington just to kind of breeze through him easily. And um, yeah, quite, quite, quite the opposite happened. Okay. So now I got a lot to unpack. So at for Warrington during this rise, was he viewed as a beloved cult figure in the UK boxing scene or was he more viewed as this run is inevitably going to end at some point 
and one of these guys is going to be that guy? Um, I think I think he was respected by by most people. He was the sort of guy who I think a lot of people looked at him and think, right, he's not a not a power puncher, so maybe we're not going to respect him, or that we're not going to want to watch him watch him fight as much as the other guys because you know it's going to go the distance. Uh, he was the sort of fighter who he was absolutely massive in his home city of Leeds and still well-known outside of Leeds, but outside of Leeds, he wasn't going to sell many tickets, put it put, put it that way. Um, and I think he's kind of grown in popularity, but whether he was kind of close to the superstardom of, obviously comparing him to Anthony Joshua is a bit silly, but compare it, but was he close to like the superstardom of, say, Carl Frampton? Probably not. He just wasn't the. He wasn't kind of as well known in and around the UK as perhaps Carl Frampton. Carl Frampton was. Okay, and I believe he's trained by his father. That year that he had, I believe it was. Uh, I'm looking it up. 2018. Why wasn't his father brought up as trainer of the year in 2018 with the Lee Selby and the Carl Frampton win? I feel like. In that mm. year, that would be a conversation to be had if he's not going to be fighter of the year. Those are two massive underdog wins. I have not heard much ever about the trainer of Josh Warrington. I am just curious from a cultural perspective, why don't we hear much mention of that? Good point. Good question. And I think a lot of people at the time raised why he wasn't really being mentioned, why his father wasn't really being given credit so no, don't have, don't don't have much of an answer for you. She's like they definitely should have been given credit for that for that run of two great wins, two massive UK fights. I think the only thing I'd say is unfortunately is what happens in boxing. You win a you win a big fight as the underdog, and then people are quite quite quick to to write you off. I.e., Lee Selby was done at featherweight. Um, Carl Frampton underestimated you. Those sort of things were thrown about, but that's not really an excuse as to why. Um, why, 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 why the why the trainer slash father shouldn't have been have been given trainer of the year or at least mentioned a bit more? A bit more for it. I think for my website that not a lot of people visit, I think I actually gave his father trainer of the year just based off of the notion that the like how many trainers fought this much adversity and all of that. My only reasoning that he wouldn't get it is he seems like he's an untraditional trainer that he's he's more of. Let's make sure you're in dog shape, you're well-conditioned, and maybe some of the technical prowess isn't focused on. And I've noticed that the coaches that the media love to give trainer to the year are kind of like these soft-spoken, kind of cerebral geniuses. They portray themselves as like chess players in a dark room. And (laughs) Warrington's father feels like kind of like a CrossFit coach. And it kind of doesn't fit the mold, I feel, that some writers want to uh, appreciate in the sport of boxing. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I think, I think another thing about him perhaps is that he's just quite, quite honest. Speaks his mind. I don't think he's very. He's alone. He's probably not the most politically politically correct person. Uh, maybe his face doesn't really fit. I don't know. I don't know. It, it's it's a shame, really, because even after, even now, a lot of people don't really give him give him much credit. Will people give him credit if Josh Warrington wins next weekend? Maybe, but. Quite possibly not, because I think a lot of people say that Warrington should have just should shouldn't have lost the first fight. Um, but no, I I I I I I agree with you. I think he doesn't really kind of um, skirt around his words very much. He just kind of says it how it is, and maybe that doesn't go go down too well with some people. He reminds me of an American boxing coach named Ken Porter, who a lot of people always want to try to discredit Ken as a coach, but his son Sean Porter is one of the best American fighters of the past decade. 
Yet I rarely hear writers give Ken Porter credit for being a technical coach. He was part of the U.S. Olympic boxing team staff in 2012. Yet we don't, it seems like until he steps away from the sport, people won't appreciate Ken Porter. I'm almost getting that vibe from Josh Warrington's dad in the same way. Yeah, no, I, th- I think I think that's fair. I think he's, I, th- I think that, that that could easily happen. Like he's not a, He's not a glamorous guy and um, maybe, I don't know, maybe just maybe people want him to kind of um, to coach, to coach more fighters. I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not really sure. Cause I think he's fought, he's coaching another guy at the moment called Maxi Hughes, who fights on the undercard, who has had a great couple of years and you don't really see him getting that much credit for turning his career around either. Uh, so yeah, I'm not sure. Maybe, 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 maybe one day. Well, maybe I'll write a story this week to give him credit. Maybe I will be the spark that creates change. So going into this is the expectation that we're going to see Warrington um, avenge his career loss, or do you view this as a true 50-50 fight? Um, I think I, th- I think it's a 50-50 fight, 100%. I think um, it's hard. It's, I think I'm finding, it hard, I'm finding it hard to predict at the moment. Um, but I know there are a lot of people who think that there's going to be a repeat result in the UK. UK kind of Josh Warrington fans are saying that, which which doesn't you don't usually have UK fans thinking that a Brit's going to lose a fifty fifty fight from from my memory. Uh, but no, it's a fifty fifty. It's a fifty fifty fight. Is what I think. Another question is if Warrington loses again, is his career over or not? That's an interesting debate. But um, no, it's a real it's a real tough one to to predict. I really think it could go, could go either way. I kind of wish that there was a way, I guess they're in the same weight class. I feel like if he were to lose him versus Michael Conlon would be a tremendous fight because that would be a fight where I feel like Conlon would be willing to take the fight and uh, Warrington would have a chance to try to resurrect his career. But I think if he loses this fight, he starts to run out of options as Mm. a professional boxer. Yeah, and I think it's does he. I think also one thing that's special about Warrington is that he's got a fantastic support. Obviously, his last fight was behind closed doors um, due to COVID, but he's he's fighting at a place called Headingley, um, Headingley Headingley Rugby League Stadium next next weekend. I think there's going to be around twenty thousand people there. He's fought at Ellen Road before. Do these people stick with him if he loses again, or does he go back to fighting in in smaller places? Um, I would hope, you know, I would hope they would they would they would stick with him, but that might be one thing that he might he might struggle with. If all of a sudden, he's not a big a big deal anymore, and he has to fight on an undercard. Doesn't sell as many tickets. It could be could be could be a bit tricky. Well, we will be tuning into the Leeds Warrior, Katie Taylor, one of the best fighters in the world. Will be defending all four of her belts against Jennifer Hahn. I doubt you remember Abby Hahn. I believe he was signed to top rank, lost to Glenn Tapia. This is years ago. That is her brother. I almost said that is her sister, but that is a man. Um, (laughs) Katie Taylor. Jennifer Hahn is a lot better than people will give her credit. Katie Taylor has been the dominant force of women's boxing overseas. I guess we're just kind of waiting to see her fight her equal, like an Amanda Seriano or someone Mm. that we're very excited about. Do you think this will be a Delphine Pearson type fight that surprises people, or is this going to be Katie Taylor, um, the Katie Taylor show? 
it's a it's a tricky one because I think that Katie Taylor, I think that I mentioned invincibility with Josh Warrington after losing after losing going through his first loss. And although Katie Taylor hasn't suffered a loss yet, I do feel like that era of invincibility has gone because of the two very close fights against Delphine Pursuit and the very close fight against Natasha Jonas as well. Um, I don't think I or a lot of other British boxing fans are going to know much about Jennifer Han, to be honest. Uh, so I'm not sure how much of a challenge she can um, she can give Katie Taylor. The only thing I notice is Jennifer Han is that she's she's not much of a puncher, so that suggests that if she's going to win the fight, it's going to need to be on points. And I think if you're going to do that on points against Katie Taylor in 10 two-minute rounds, you're going to have to win very convincingly. I think that's... I think that's I think that's the case. I'd make a comparison with Katie Taylor and Canelo, if I'm honest. If you're going to beat mm-hmm. Canelo, you need to win eight of the rounds convincingly. That's what Billy Joe Saunders needed to do in May, in my opinion. Um, so that's unfortunately how how you defeat Katie Taylor in the UK. Um, so it's going to be very tough because I don't think Jennifer Han's going to stop Katie Taylor, and it's going to be extreme tough to, for her to win on points. I think that's the truth. I think that the when you bring up a lot of good points, Jennifer Hahn, I believe, was in Michaela Mayer's training camp for one of these fights. She's been getting good work. But Katie Taylor is someone where it's she's a true superstar of the sport. She's someone that impacts culture. But as time goes on, she's looking shakier and shakier. And I think that we're kind of, as boxing insiders, we're kind of waiting for that uh-oh moment because it does feel like we're getting close to the end with Katie Taylor. I'd agree with that. I'd agree with that. And I question whether she'll stay undefeated for all of her career. Um, there are a lot, I think there are tricky fights out, out, out there, out there for her. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, we will, we will see. I think I know, I know she's 35 now, so you've got to question how long exactly will she go on for? Um, although obviously she's turned pro later than, later than, later than most people would do. Um, so we'll see, but I, 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 I agree with you. I think again, tough to judge how much of a challenge Jennifer, Jennifer Han is, but, um, but no, I, th- I think what interests me is the next couple of years is Katie Taylor going to come out and say, right, I'll fight anyone. I'll f- I want the biggest fights. I want to move up. I want to move up in weight again and, and win all the world titles. I want to look and move them down in weight. Or is she, I don't want to say looking at safer fights, but, Building the brand, protect protecting the brand. You know what I mean? Like let's let's do it again, brother. Um, I, because I'm looking at Chantel Cameron. Mm. I want that fight to happen. I want Katie Taylor to fight Kelly Harrington. Those are two fights I'm looking at. And if if the Chantel Cameron fight doesn't happen within a year, that's going to be very disappointing to me because Cameron is calling for the fight. She's extremely talented. That to me is a super fight, in my opinion, because Cameron passes the eye test. She wants the fight. She's lost to her in the amateurs. I think what we've lacked with Katie Taylor is a true rival, someone with bad blood, someone with a major buildup. That's just my hot take. Yeah, well, I think for me, um, from a British fan's perspective, Chantel Cameron's the fight. I think I could be wrong here. I don't. Um, I question how much Chantel Cameron's been tested in her career so far. No, she's undefeated as well, world champion in the way above. I think looks really good. And I think that's arguably Katie Taylor's toughest, 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 toughest fight out there. Um, quite possibly. I know Chantel Cameron, I don't know. I think she might be fighting in October. 
defending a world titles. And then who knows, possibly early next year might happen. Maybe not. Um, another fight I wouldn't mind seeing. There's, there's Terry Harper as well. He's in the weight division below, world champion below. She's quite a bit younger than, quite a bit younger than Katie Taylor. I believe she could be 10 years younger, to be honest. But again, that's another fight. That's another, that's, that's another big fight in, in the UK. So if Katie Taylor is going to go down the route of the biggest fights possible, um, I think those two are, those two are both, are both, are both possibilities for, for early next year. And I'll also throw out Michaela Mayer. You know, Michaela is another uh, American fighter. But I just, Katie Taylor is too talented and too big of a star for us to keep getting her in fights we don't really invest much time into. Mm. Yeah, and that's completely fair. And then Michaela Mayer, I think, um, has a profile here in the UK. Uh, so that's, not, that's another big fight. But I know you, it's an interesting point you made. I think if she fights Jennifer Han and it isn't much of a challenge, and then maybe fight somebody else before the end of the year and the same sort of thing happens. Some people might might start to lose interest and that would be a disappoint that would be disappointing at a time when women's boxing is getting bigger and bigger in, in this country. And if I'm being honest, I think I don't know, I think there are other female fighters who could perhaps take her place as kind of the centre point of women's boxing in this country, whether it be Chantel Cameron or Terry or, or Terry Harper. There's, there's there's another couple as well. So we will see. We will see. We will and then see. you got Kelly Harrington potentially vying for the Irish spot as well. She's probably going to turn pro at some point. So, I mean, I just think it's interesting because Katie Taylor has been a pioneer, but in the tech world, there's a book where most of these tech people look at it and it says the planes are filled with the bodies of pioneers. And I hope that Katie Taylor isn't one of those bodies left on the plane that she actually gets to leave her mark. And we don't wonder what would have happened. Yeah. I, I I hope so. I hope so. And we don't we don't we don't know we don't know the plan. I think she could be having one or two more fights left and then be retiring at the age of thirty five, thirty six, and that'll be that'll be it. But I personally I want to see more fights like the like the Natasha Jonas fights. So like you know, domestic domestic slash English Irish Irish fights are, 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 are fantastic. So whether it's fights yeah, whether it's fights against UK fighters or US fighters, I think those are the fights that people really want to see. Uh, but no, I think it's very much up in the air whether we're gonna whether we're gonna see those fights or not. Okay, now we're gonna switch over to Connor Ben. He's fighting Adrian Granados. I think no disrespect to Granados, we're all expecting Connor Ben to win. I'm gonna start off with the beginning question: Is Connor Ben the UK's answer to Virgil Ortiz Jr. In this uh, man, it like in what sense? In the sense he's like the next big thing. Kind of like a big knockout puncher who's on his way up, who it feels like more people than not are tuning in because you probably get a brutal knockout and you're getting people that don't usually tune in to fighters who are building their way to a world title watching fight after fight. Um, I think it's, I think that's to be confirmed. I wouldn't compare him to Virgil T's just yet. Um, I think that fantastic knockout against Sammy Vargas, Vargas last time out, um, and I think that if you were to do a poll on Twitter and say, right, who's the next UK pay-per-view star, I'm confident Conor Ben would win that poll. Um, someone's going to need to replace the likes of Andy Joshua Fury, Kel Brook, Amir Khan, those sort of guys. Um, so I think he is favourite to be the next uh, comparison to Virgil Ortiz, but I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't say so. I wouldn't say so yet, personally. 
Yeah, um, it's interesting because I'm looking at like if I were to buy a stock, right? I'll throw this question at you, and it's an unfair question, right? I'm putting you on the spot. But we got my man, Benjamin Whitaker, who I'd probably invest in. He'd probably be my stock. We got Ben Whitaker, we got Pat McCormick, and we got Connor Ben. Which one would be the tastiest stock that you would buy in at this moment? Um, oh, man. That's a good, um, I'm, I really liked what I saw of Pat McCormick at the Olympics, and I think he's going to do really special things. But I don't want to come across as if I'm like a Connor Ben hater or if I don't believe in him, I do. <laughs> you but know the he, internet, man. You know how the internet is. Like you're trying to be too rational yeah, and reasonable. That doesn't really work on the internet. No, not not so well. It's a bit it's it's it's, it's too late now. Um but to answer your question, um Pat, Pat McCormack would be who I would who I would invest in the most. But I think I think everyone I think everyone's great. <laughs> because I think that there's gonna be always connected a rivalry between Pat McCormick and Connor Ben, just because Connor Ben is going to be the guy that went pro. He has a famous father and Pat McCormick is going to be the traditional. I came up through the Olympics guy. I got a silver. I'm the pedigree guy. And I think these two are always going to be linked together in some capacity in UK boxing. Yeah. Like I think, I think that's quite possible. I think we just have to, I think, as I said, a big fan of Pat McCormack, but we're going to have to, have to, have to wait and see. And, um, but I think that look, I wouldn't mind betting this time next year. People are making those sorts of comparisons. We don't know how quickly Pat McCormack's going to rise through the pro ranks, but no, that could be, um, that don't, don't, don't see why, don't, don't, don't see why not. But look, in a year's time, Conor Ben could be, close to fighting for a world title, whereas Pat McCormack could be, you know, two and O as a professional. So just, just, we just have to see. Uh, not to hope for anything, but I hope Pat McCormick signs with Eddie Hearn and he just gets a part of that machine where they're whipping him out every month or two. And he's just decorated because I feel like UK guys, that's the place to be for Connor. Ben is part of his appeal that he's, the son of Nigel Ben, a cultural icon. I mean, that's kind of like a duh statement. Like, of course you're like, you're like, that's, that's his son. But I mean, is there like most, most sons of fighters, there's a hard road where people are consistently doubting them. I noticed with Connor Ben, it feels like people really, really want to believe in him. This is an uncommon thing I've seen with the son of great fighters. Yeah, I, th- I think I think so. so. I would say something similar about 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 Chris Eubank Jr. Um, regards to kind of their personality or not, people I think people want to see them fail from 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 the off. I think people kind of assume you're an arrogant person if you have a have a, have a successful parent in the in the sport. Um, but no, I think with Conor Ben, I think it's a great story because rewind three years ago. I don't know if you remember, remember that fight he had against the um. Don't remember the guy's name, the 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 French guy. Okay, I am had, remembering it. He had a fight and he got knocked down twice, I believe, and just about scraped points for over eight rounds, eight rounds. And at that point, everyone, like, vast majority of people, said, "Right, he's not going to be able to win a British title. He's crap. He's rubbish." And to go from there to where he is now, it's quite the quite the rise. He's done so. So, so well in the in the, in the last two or three years, he's, and he's, his, his improvement is incredible as well. Um, but I think there is still that portion of people who, who yeah, just don't like him for for whatever reason, and are always going to write him off. 
um, up until the point where he, 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 he achieves what he can achieve in the sport. Well, I remember that fight because I remember the comments on Twitter and websites were kind of entitlement. It was like, you wouldn't be in this position if you weren't from this family. Like you are entitled, you are undeserving of this position. You just got exposed. Exposed is kind of like the most nasty word in boxing. They exposed him. And what do you think changed in Connor Ben from that moment till now? Was it coaching or was it motivation from that negativity? I think motivation personally. I think I think he's worked harder. I'm not saying he maybe I'm not saying he didn't take the sport seriously first. I think he did. I just think he maybe had told himself how hard he was going to have to work to get to a certain level. And if you look in the difference in his physique from when he, um, from three years ago to now, there is quite a big difference. He's clearly worked a lot harder in the gym. Um, so, so fair, fair play to him. He's clearly, and you can tell, you can tell he's motivated. You can tell he's motivated pre-fight interviews, post-fight interviews in the ring as well. You can tell he goes into fights and whether he's better than his opponent or not, you can tell, you can tell he wants, he wants to win more. This is a good point. Now I've got to hit you with the WTF from American fan perspective. Giovanni Strafan versus Maxi Hughes. WTF. We don't know a single thing about this fight. No. <laughs> um, cool. So Maxi Hughes, fantastic story. Um, big, 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 big fan of Maxi Hughes. Um, got a lot of, um, got, got a lot of time for him. He's gone through his career and cup. So I think he's got four losses now. Um, just, I think went through a period where kind of he was close to quitting the sport. And then, um, last year he was up against John O'Carroll and everyone kind of expected John O'Carroll to win on points. That was what most people just expected to happen. Maxi Hughes got the win, got the upset. And then since then, he's just kind of looked better and better. And there's nobody who in the division, who I would pick, who I would kind of guarantee would beat Maxi Hughes. I think he's just on such a crest of a wave right now. And he's looking really good. Um, Staff Staffron, on the other hand, no one knew who he was in this country really until he faced James Tennyson a few months ago. Faced James Tennyson, who was kind of knocking everyone out within within a round or two, and then yeah, I think it was a it was a first round stoppage Tennyson, which no one really no one saw coming, which was just a massive shock to everyone. And we still don't know. We still don't know if 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 he's kind of this amazing fighter or if he perhaps to punch Tennyson who in a James Tennyson fight, either he's getting knocked out or you're knocking him out. That's kind of how it goes. Those fights don't really kind of go the, go, go the distance to be honest with you. Um, so yeah. And I think because that fight lasted a minute or so, still no one really knows what to, what, what to expect from, from, from Staffron. So this is the fight that if you're tuning in, this is a great local attraction. This is probably the Super Bowl for both guys but this is going to be maybe the fight of the night. I think that's fair. I think you don't, you're unlikely to see Maxi Hughes in many, um, in many disappointing fights. So yeah, could be a, I'd say the main event could be fight of the night thinking about it, but, um, but no, this could be, this could be a strong contender for sure. Running through just the last two fights that stood out to me, Ebony, Ebony Bridges, who's kind of become like a social media personality because she's a very attractive woman. Uh, she's on the undercard. We got Hopi Price. Uh, any UK observations about these fighters? Are they crossing over? Are they impacting culture? Um, what's the temperature on these two fighters? Um, I think with Hopi Price, he... Um, 
he's seen as kind of a top five prospect um, in the UK. Um, very good, very rangy. Um, just hasn't kind of lost a round yet in his pro career so far, I don't think. And he's going up a guy, I think the guy's something like 15 or 16 and one. So, yeah, I don't know much about his opponent, but it looks like it's going to be a going to be a decent test for him. But he is he is seen as someone who um, should be kind of a future a future world champion, I believe. And he looks very good. It looks very good so far. So he's being fast tracked, basically. They're trying to put him in quicker, get him to eight, ten round fights rather quickly. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I think next next weekend's fights is t- scheduled for ten rounds. Which for someone in their sixth fight is is definitely fast tracking. Um, yeah, don't know if he's going to be fighting for titles. Well, I imagine he will be fighting for titles soon. Um, but no, if, if he, he he most definitely is being is being fast tracked. Okay, now I got to get your take on the juiciest fight in the UK boxing calendar: Anthony Joshua versus Alexander Usyk. I still to this day don't know if you spell Alexander with an O or an A because I've had it presented to me with both. I don't for the life of me know. Um, I don't really know what to think of this fight because I think both fighters have major flaws. You sell me on the fight. Um, First of all, I'm the same as you. I don't know if it's an A or an O. Um, I've been presented with both as well. So maybe, maybe, maybe we'll never know. Um, I think I think it's a really tough one to predict. And I think I'm glad we've kind of, well, everyone seems to have moved on from the fact that this is going to have to do for now instead of Joshua and Fury. I'm glad people are so pumped for this fight, whether it's casual fans or hardcore fans. People are really looking, people are really looking forward to it. Um, I think it's a really, it's a tough one to predict. I think the main um, debating point here is Usyk is one of the best cruiserweights ever. No doubt about that. Um, but people don't really know how much of a force he is at heavyweight. And I think one issue is is that Joshua is not only a heavyweight, he's a big he's a big guy as well. And Usyk is obviously having to, I don't want to say eat up to the weight, but is having to put a lot of effort into to kind of to to increase in size and to be to be closer to Joshua in that way from what from what I can see. Um I think that I'm personally picking Joshua for this fight. Whether he stops Usyk, I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced he will. I actually think Joshua will win on points. I, but I think that um, Usyk will 100% is 100% going to win some rounds, and it could be a close points decision. Um, but yeah, that's kind of I could go on, but I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to bore you to death. But in two minutes, that's probably my take. Well, my question with Joshua is right. He he looks the part. I think that they're that he's a good guy. I think he kind of reminds me of the Ray Leonard of UK boxing where there's a big morality component. He's very polished his image. He's thought a lot about how to present himself. My only issue is he has elements of being very green as a fighter in the sense that he doesn't transition from offense to defense very well. He's either defense or offense, but his overwhelming size and his coach is very good coming up with plans to make him succeed that he never really is exposed or that is never really a weakness in his bouts because he's that much um, better in a lot of other things than fighters. I'm just curious because Joe Parker used an active jab and troubled him a bit. My only question is how will the Usyk jab trouble Joshua 
because we know the size of guys like Chisora and was it Ches Washington or who was the other guy? Oh, oh man, his name his name escapes me. His, um, no, American guy to watch. Yeah, American. You're you've almost there with his with his with his name, but that was his, yeah his, his his pro his his debut at heavyweight, right? Chaz 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 with a spoon. Oh yeah, there we go. That was terrible. <laughs> I, I was in the ballpark though. I thought it was Washington. It's Witherspoon. Um, he like that was cautionary because those guys don't possess what Joshua possesses, and they were having too much success against him. I mean, even a Tony Bellew was having far too much success against mm-hmm. Usyk. So my question is: Is Usyk a big game fighter where he rises to the moment and he's going to put it together, or is he just naturally too small? And can Joshua show to me that he can put offense and defense together? Those are kind of the questions of the fight to me. Yeah. And I think your last point of can he put offense and defense together, I think could be key. And I'd like to think yes. And I'd like to think that's one thing they worked on and improved on. And Joshua, although Fury was on his, would have been on his mind. I think now he, um, he's got, he's kind of, He's had long enough to focus on Usyk is what is what I'm is what I'm trying to say, but no, I think size should I think size should play a part here because if you're I don't know obviously we don't know how much these guys are going to weigh in but they could be in the region of thirty pounds difference and I just can't help but think that a good big guy is likely to beat a good a good little guy most 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 of the time and I just think it's whether Joshua utilizes his size correctly against Usyk is a case of whether he can be successful or not. Whether that's going to make for an entertaining fight, quite quite possibly not. And I think that Usyk's jab, I think it could be effective early on, but can it be effective for 12 rounds? I question whether it can be. And I think that could be a defining factor as well. My other thing is the, the feet of Usyk, because Joshua is not like the most um, elegant in terms of his uh, the way his feet work. I mean, Joshua is a big, strong guy who has... He's like the big solid of the heavyweight division. He's a solid boxer. He's got solid strength. He's like a B in every category. But a B in heavyweight is vastly superior than most people. And I'm just curious to see, because Usyk has like a C in terms of size, but an A-plus in terms of um, boxing IQ... Will Usyk be able to exploit some of the gaps in terms of skill sets? Yeah, and I think questions will be asked, and I think we'll see. I think this is arguably, I know he's lost a fight so far, but this is arguably Joshua's, I think it's his toughest fight in his in his, in his his pro career so far, and he's going to come, come up against something that he never has done before, as is Usyk in a variety, in a variety of different ways. But I kind of stick to my point. I think Usyk will have some success, um, you know, throughout throughout the fight in in earlier early in the fight, late in the fight. But I I just think that can he do it for can he do it for twelve rounds? Um, I'm not I'm not, I'm 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 not convinced against argue, against arguably the best heavyweight in the world. I'm not I'm not so I'm not so sure. I think it's going to be very interesting. It's very interesting. Say, I think there's quite a point where say. You know, three rounds in, it could be three nil to Usyk. I think that could that could quite possibly happen. But over a twelve round fight, I'm not I'm not I'm not convinced. The fight will be won in rounds eight, nine, and ten. I think mm. that's safe to say. But I also think it's funny that they're two Olympic gold medalists, 
And we're not hearing much about that going in. Like this is literally a battle of two Olympic gold medalists from the same Olympic year facing each other. And that's not being really brought to the forefront when that's a pretty extraordinary thing. I agree with you. Um, I'm not, that should be a big selling point. Um, is that a big selling point to casual fans who maybe don't know much about Usyk? Maybe not. Um, I think that, I think that the more, the kind of better unique selling point for this fight for some people is the fact that Usyk held all the belts at cruiserweight and Joshua holds nearly all of the belts at heavyweight. Um, but I completely agree with what you're saying. That's one thing that's, that's fantastic about it for me as well. The fact it was the same year as well is, is amazing. But I think they're going down more the route of the fact that Usyk, A, has held all the belts at cruiserweight and B, you know, he's beaten, knocked out Tony Bellew, beat Derek Chisora. Can we find a British guy to beat, to, to beat this guy? Well, and I think it also answers the question. It's like, Usyk was part of arguably one of the greatest Olympic boxing teams ever, the Ukrainian boxing team that had himself, Lomachenko. There were many others, uh, Denny's, whatever his name is, that just did a bare-knuckle fight where he knocked out Artem Leboff. And the argument is always those guys can't really fight on the inside or those guys don't like physicality. It always seems like great amateur boxer suffers with physicality. Lomachenko's loss to um Salido was to physicality the the Reagan Diao conversely it looked like Lomachenko's style to beat him was be physical on the inside I think it answers questions because Joshua when he won the gold he fought a very pro style to win gold he didn't really look like an amateur boxer he was kind of loading up on punches he wasn't accumulating points so to me, this is also like a contrast of what's the more effective style coming out of amateur boxing. Good point. Yeah, I'd not, I'd not really thought about that, to be honest. Um, and I think that I don't want to sound condescending, but I think that there's a lot of people who can't appreciate that as much as you do. Um, and I think that, yeah, it, it will be very interesting to look at both of their kind of journeys in the Olympics and then looking at the fight itself. Um, and I think those questions, yeah, I think those questions will be, I think those questions will be answered. And I think it's about who can exploit the other's weaknesses the, the most, the most perhaps. I mean, the journey of this fight is interesting because it's like Anthony Joshua was anointed as the next great heavyweight. He was like Lennox Lewis 2.0, like here's the next big guy. And then Usyk was this guy that was fighting on cloud TV. He was fighting <laughs> on these weird channels no one could figure i I mean he had a fight on wealth tv and they wouldn't even take my money i couldn't see (laughs) the fight because it was on this obscure stream until streaming platforms came Usyk was fighting on these relatively obscure outlets it's a guy they had the same accomplishment but one guy's career happened in front of us and then the others kind of we've only seen the back end of it so it's like two different journeys Mm -hmm. from the same place at the same time and now they're meeting to kind of define their careers. Absolutely. And I wonder if Usyk feels a bit hard, not, I don't know if hard done by the word, I don't know if jealous is the right word, but yeah, he's had to, he's had to A, as you say, work on some interesting TV channels and B, when did Usyk last, has he, like, when did Usyk last fight in Ukraine? He's gone to America, UK twice, Germany to fight Poland, I think as well, um, to fight tough, 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 tough fighters, world champions. 
Whereas Joshua has fought outside of the UK twice. He's kind of won his world title from the UK, defended his world title from the UK. Yeah, whereas Usyk's just had to kind of take a very different route. And if I'm being honest, no one, few people in this country really, really knew, really knew who he was until he won the um, the Muhammad Ali Trophy a couple, a, couple, a couple of years ago. No one really, I think, made, I think, and people, I think people really took notice of him because he looked a bit weird. No one really kind of thought, oh, this guy won, you know, won the Olympics. He's a great boxer, undefeated world champion. I think that was his main selling point. He looked a bit like a James Bond villain. I think that was um, that, that 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 was that was why people were talking about him in this country. And he only really got a lot of people's respect when he came to Manchester and and beat Tony Bellew, who um, who was yeah, who was a great fighter in his in his own right. That's like I'm my projection is Fraser Clark will be the Tony Bellew of this generation. Like I'm seeing that, but I think that that's been the Usyk, right? Is that he's this socially awkward guy who looks like a James Bond villain. He kind of looks like Jaws and um, he can really fight, but it's like the fighting that he does isn't really the selling point. It's like he goes to a press conference and he puts the hand sanitizer on and he does it in this really awkward way. He's doing videos, riding a bicycle saying, hello, Anthony. And it's like, I, you can't, I don't know if he's joking around or if he's just socially awkward. Like he's just, he's got this weird aspect where it's like, maybe he thinks he's super macho so he can be like really ridiculous. And he thinks it's like funny, but it's just, it's not normal. And it's it's something to look at, and it's definitely different. And I feel like he's known for that as much as he's known for his in ring abilities. I think so, and it's fun because you don't know really know what's you don't really know what's coming next. I don't know if if part of it is because he um, his English isn't amazing just yet, so you're not going to get him to kind of come out with like a monologue in a press conference just yet. So maybe he tries to make up for that by by being by being entertaining. I don't know. Maybe that's just that that could just be a guess. But um, but no, it is something about him. you that you don't know what's you don't know what's coming next. But the only thing I would say is that he isn't getting enough credit for his fighting style and his fighting ability because I think people are struggling to see past the the weirdness. Well, and I also think. He reminds me of Golovkin, not in the way he fights, but you got these guys who don't, they look different, right? And you know, growing up, they grew up in countries where they probably got messed with a lot. And they don't really give us a lot about who they are. Like, we don't know who Usyk is as a person. We just know what he presents. And like, I was thinking about the other day, I don't know a thing about Golovkin's personal beliefs or anything, you know? And it's like, he's very disguised and mysterious. And I think that with guys like Usyk, what makes them dangerous is they've concealed who their true identity is. Like he's created this identity that makes you think that's who he is, but we have no concept of who he is, or at least I don't as a person outside of boxing besides the antics. Yeah, that's true. Uh, that's, that's fair. And I think maybe part of it is the fact that they, they're not kind of, they do post on social media, but they're not, they're doing posting so on social media when it's to do with, training or an upcoming fight or something like that. They're not maybe posting pictures of them with family or friends or doing stuff outside of boxing. So no, it, it's true. Like I was like, what you said has made me think, I don't know anything about Golovkin's been around for a long time. I, I couldn't really tell you anything about him. I don't know if he's got kids, if he's married, where he actually lives when he's not in training camp. I don't, I don't, I don't know those things. And I don't know in some ways I quite 
like that because they're just a boxer and they're not trying too hard to be a celebrity or to kind of focus on focus on being famous. Um, so it's quite nice to have that. It's kind of, it's a bit of a, a bit of a throwback compared to fighters who are constantly on social media and, and are constantly posting about things out, things out, things outside of the sport. Well, and then you contrast that to Anthony Joshua, who's like the LeBron James of the UK is like how I view him where it's like, it feels like everywhere he goes, it's big business. There's 20 people employed by him around him everything is shut down because it's like, here is the fortune 500 company in the building. Don't let anyone mess up the investment. He is coming. I feel like his social media account isn't even run by himself. It's run by a group of social media strategists trying to, and it's like, you contrast that with Usyk who's giving you the bare minimum where it's like Joshua is this sugar Ray Leonard in the modern era where everything is meticulously hand selected to meet all these different people's needs and keep up with societal standards and be on point. I think that also makes it an interesting fight because they're just so vastly different in the public spaces. Yeah, absolutely. And I wish I kind of, I wish the two of them could have a, a gloves are off type program. Cause it'd be interesting to see if Usyk kind of would open up a bit and it'd be interesting to see how Joshua would, would react to that. Um, but yeah, look, if, you, if you're an anti, if you don't like Anthony Joshua and you live in the UK, I feel pretty sorry for you because he's pretty hard to get away from. Um, whether it's kind of a, a billboard at a, on a, on a street or at a train station, you won't, you won't, you, he's pretty, he's pretty hard to escape. So if you don't like him, you're, you're, you're in, you're in trouble. And no, I think his profile, I think, um, if he kind of wins against Dusik and the run up to, if the Fury fight does happen, it's going to be, it's going to be immense. The amount of coverage there is and the amount of, um, the amount of out of ring promotional um, promotional fields there are as well. What does Joshua have to do to surpass Lennox Lewis's legacy in the UK? I think, oh man, it kind of depends who you're asking. Cause I think that, I think that for some people, he, I don't want to say he kind of has done already, but he is more famous now than Lennox Lewis than I think Lennox Lewis was when 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 Lewis was fighting, um, but in terms of kind of achievements wise, I think it's it's the big it's it's the big Fury it's the big it's the big domestic fight against Fury. Um, but saying that, look, if he even if he kind of beats Usyk but loses to Fury, who you know who who's who's going who's the bigger name? Who are people more aware of? I think the answer is Anthony Joshua, but. I guess it, I guess it depends how you're defining how you're defining legacy in terms of who would win in the fight, prime versus prime. I think a lot of people would go for Lewis, but in terms of who's the most iconic figure in British sport, I think Joshua passes him already by some by some distance. But maybe I'm being biased because I'm in a certain generation. Well, I guess my question would be: Who do you think is going to influence more young people coming out of boxing? that are young British heavyweights. Do you think it's going to be Lennox Lewis or do you think it's going to be Anthony Joshua? Yeah. Oh, Anthony Joshua, 100%. I think he, due to his personality and the fact, as I said, he's hard to get away from like people who hate boxing, like Anthony Joshua in this country, people who hate sport like Anthony Joshua, or at least know who he is. Whereas um, the next generation of kids, you know, they're not going to perhaps be aware of someone who boxed as long ago as Lennox Lewis did. Yeah. Um, one last thing. I'm going to force you to comment on a domestic American fight. I know that's a rough one, but don't worry. I'll carry the load if you don't know how to anything about the fight. 
Uh, undercard, we won't talk about. It's Fox. They're having a show on Sunday. These Sunday shows I really dislike because I record my podcast on Sunday. So it just like makes me have to reschedule my work week because then I have to do like a another one and edit and people get mad at me. Why isn't the podcast out on this day? But we got Jose Armando Rosendo taking on Mark Hernandez. That's a good undercard fight. Sterling Castillo coming off his win over Caveman. Uh, what's Cave? Miguel Contreras Caveman uh, taking on former world title contender Juan Carlos Burgos. That should be a good display for Sterling Castillo. But we're not talking about those fights, sadly. We're talking about Jose Ramos moving up to 154 pounds, fighting Brian Mendoza, who was originally set to fight my man, Julian J-Rock Williams. And internally in the PBC, they're circling Jose Ramos Jr. Or why did I say Jose? Jesus Ramos Jr. as their blue chip prospect guy. They're looking at this guy as a future uh, star of the company, potentially. He's been in Terrence Crawford's training camp. And Mendoza, as I said, was was set to fight Julian Williams before Williams pulled out. This is a massive step up that I feel like because people are maybe not following the career of Ramos just yet, first time headlining a Fox card, say what you will, but I think this is a very interesting fight. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll, I'll take, I'll take your word for it. I think I'll be honest, I think you are going to have to have to carry the load on this one, but no, you've, you've, you've sold it to me very well. You've, you've increased my interest in it anyway. Um, but no, it does sound good. Am I am I allowed to ask you for a prediction? Yeah, of course. I don't care. You're allowed to ask me anything. <laughs> uh, I think I think Jesus Ramos is going to win. He's a very dominant. He's a big guy. I'm interested to see if he's going to stay at 154 pounds. I think that he's on track to be a very special fighter in this division. I think that he's a guy who has a chip on his shoulder, also not being mentioned amongst Boots Innes and Virgil Ortiz because he's kind of in that same age range. And I also feel like he's in the conversation of a future Connor Ben opponent because they're all around the same weight and have a similar record. My question to you is looking at his record, he fought, I believe Javier Molina in his last fight. Who's a a former Olympian fighting Brian Mendoza. He only has one loss and he was going to be in there with a world champion type opponent in Julian Williams. That's a pretty massive step up for a young fighter. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it sounds, it sounds like it. it sounds like he's doing quite a lot in a, in a short, in a short space of time. But I think from speaking from my position, when you, when your knowledge is limited, when you don't know a lot, I think there kind of comes a point where you just kind of, you hand it to the person's team and the people who are in charge of that person. And if they think that step up is, is the right time, then, then, then fair play to them. If it's not, then kind of, more for, more 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 for them, but I think it's it's a case in boxing. Like as we mentioned with Hopi Price earlier, some fights are capable of of being fast tracked, and some aren't. And you kind of have to take the slow the slow method. But it's interesting to see how different different fights are managed. Well, I think the the issue right now with Ramos, why he isn't getting as much attention? This is going to sound silly. Is it's the same reason Joe Smith Junior.'s name doesn't get brought up all the time? I think when people have names that people see often, it's harder for them to stand out if they don't have a standout performance. So Jesus Ramos Jr. might not be as easy to remember as a Virgil Ortiz or a Jerron Innes because those are more unique names. So I think that what he needs is a marquee win on Fox because I think that the casual fan might go, oh, that's Jesus Ramos. I think I may have seen him or I may not have seen him. I don't know. Does that make sense? That's just a personal opinion I think I have. Yeah, I think so. Um, 
And I'm I'm also one to say that if he if he kind of takes a step up and loses, then that doesn't mean his career's over. And I think that you get some people who will a kind of respect him more for for doing that, and b will kind of will know that he's kind of capable of at least performing that level, and will tune in to watch it again and kind of and continue with the story. I, th- I think that people are getting getting fed up of guys who get to. 20 and 0 without kind of having 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 a real test I, I, i'd much rather see someone who kind of who loses and then and then and then you want to see them want you want to see them bounce back you want to see you want to see their journey well i want to salute the uk boxing fans before i get you out of here because i was thinking about this the other day the uk boxing fans are so good and i'll tell you why you guys are so good you will get behind a fighter just to see their journey and you'll be like there's james tennyson or whoever He's going to fight a former Olympian. Let's see if our guy can do it. Hey, he got in the ring with an Olympian. That's pretty cool. And they stand behind their guy. In America, we're waiting for someone to fail and we'll reluctantly join on the journey when they're having success. The UK fight fans, if you give your heart and soul to the sport and you resonate with the right people, I feel like the UK fight fans stay with a fighter through the ups and downs. I'd like to think so. I'd like to think so. Obviously, there's, there's always going to be that portion of guys who, of guys and girls who, as soon as a fighter leaves, they they move on to the next the next fighter. But I think that, and I think that here we appreciate that it's sport and that losses can happen. And although it's kind of disappointing when the hometown guy or someone you think's going to win loses, yeah, you want it's it's nice to see other people. It's nice to see other people do well. Um, and you want, yeah. I think, I think, I think, journey is 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 the key word here. And I think, um, trying to think of a good. I mean, you can use Josh. You can use Anthony Joshua as as a comparison. You'll have a lot of people who watched his first fight and have watched, have kind of watched his entire career and watched him grow. And even when he lost to Ruiz, stuck with him and then seen sort of beat Ruiz in the in, in in the rematch. So, um, I think, yeah, no, I think the majority of us are are, are a faithful bunch for sure. You know, when I had that observation in my podcast studio was I was watching the little, what's the little meat cleaver, Jack Cullen. Oh yeah. 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 And I was thinking if he was in America, he'd be Brian Vera and people would be like, look at this guy. He's a club show fighter. And I saw people in the crowd with his t-shirts and people <laughs> genuinely excited that he was fighting a guy that fought Canelo. Like yeah. they're like, our guy is fighting a Canelo opponent. And it, there was genuine joy in their face, whether he won or lost, because their guy got to fight someone Canelo fought. And yeah. that was the excitement for them. They're like, this is a guy we've been behind. We love the way he fights in the sport. And he is fighting a guy, the best fighter in the sport fought. And I thought, this is such a healthy attitude to the sport of boxing. This is such a refreshing change. Yeah. And people, I think people were there and people wanted to- Wanted to get behind him, and I think if he if he'd gone in that gone into that fight against Yildirim and lost, then that's that's okay. We'll kind of, you know, we'll kind of support him. We'll, we'll be we'll be at the next one. We'll we'll support him there. But um, I'm kind of so in comparison. What's how would you compare the attitude to in America there? If like a if an American guy fought fought, fought Yildirim, how would it differ from the UK atmosphere? It would be terrible. It would be like, can you believe this? Can you believe this guy is getting in there with this guy that we knew was a farce of an opponent for uh, this? We'd have our own boxing writers telling fans, you know, you guys shouldn't even go to this fight. This is a farce of a fight. This is ridiculous. 
the guy would get a win and people go, okay, now what do you want to do next? Who do you, it would not be even about the fight, the performance. What, what real fight do you want? The whole production of an American fighter who was in the same position, fought a yield drum would be, when are you going to take on a real fight? Because we're going to just be little and give you no credit during any of this. Yeah, it's an interesting one because I think, yeah, no, I just think with, I think with Jack Cullen's career, I think because he's lost a couple and I think that he's kind of, he's the, I think part of it is he's the sort of guy who will generally fight anyone. It's just about, he like he likes to fight and if he loses, he loses, he wins, he wins. And I think that's, that's kind of it. I think if there was a, someone who was, I don't know, if there was someone who was a world champion or say Billy Joe Saunders in his comeback fight fought Yildrim, I think the attitude would be different, but because Jack Cullen is quite a likable guy, um, has always, has always faced, has, has faced off opponents in, in the last couple of years. Um, I think that's kind of partly the part, partly the story there. And I think although what happened with Yildrim and Canelo happened, people still wanted to, people still wanted to tune in. I think people wanted to tune in as well to see Yildrim do something. You, you, I'm sure Yildrim, he wasn't just going to not throw a punch against, against Jack Cullen either. I think that's partly why people tuned in. No one really, no British fans really knew anything about Yildrim apart from the, the, the Eubank Jr. fight as well and the Canelo fight in which nothing really, nothing really happened for him. Well, I think the comparable in America would be Gabriel Rosado in terms of the same fighter. And if Rosado yeah. had a fight, uh, Anvi Yildrim, they'd be, that people would say, oh, this is not a good fight. This is not like, or like, I'm trying to think of another comparable because Rosado is kind of that feel good story. I mean, if we had a prospect, heaven forbid, we put Edgar Berlanga in with Anvi Yildrum, people would be bashing the fight. Like, oh, of course he wants Canelo's leftovers. I think that the overwhelming issue with the reason why people in America don't go to boxing is the attitude around matchups and, and sport in boxing in America is far too negative. So why would people who are tuning in for entertainment and in their spare time be drawn to something where there's a lot of bickering, anger, and stress as opposed to going to another sport where they can just watch it as spectacle, relax, and then turn it off? Yeah, no, it's, 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 an, interest, it's an interesting one. No, I think it, it makes you think about different Different, different attitudes and opinions. It'd be interesting to see what it's like in different countries in the sport as well. But um, no, I think it, as you said, it's it's quite a cool thing about 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 British about British fight fans. But I would say it's it's limited, and patience is and patience is limited as well. I think over here we get behind fighters, but if someone doesn't take a step up sooner rather than later, they do get they do they do get they do get forgotten about. People who do just kind of want to. People want to see you in a real fight, you know. But I don't think anyone really enjoys sport when they know what's going to happen before before the fight started. And there are, yeah, there are a couple of ex- there are a couple of examples of people who have just maybe um just maybe gone 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 missing a little bit for sure. Shots fired, Joshua Buatzi. But um, yeah, so well, I appreciate you taking time. I'm trying my best to be more informed about the UK boxing scene. Your outlet is my favorite outlet for the British uh, British content, all that stuff. You're also a small local business, so I love supporting small business. I love trying to 
knew all that stuff. Where can people follow you and all your great stuff? Cool. No, thanks for those. Thanks for that shout out. Really kind of you. Um, we are Eat Sleep Boxing Repeats. Um, our Twitter handle is ESBR Boxing. We post every day about what's going on, what's just happened um, through a few kind of um, throwback videos on our Twitter page as well. Um, we're really trying to push our um, YouTube channel at the moment. So if you just type Eat Sleep Boxing Repeats into YouTube, you'll be able to find us there. We post nearly every day there as well. Um, please subscribe like comment share let us know if you think our content's rubbish we, ha- we we want feedback more than happy to happy to listen to you and yeah that's 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 us at the moment okay well i really appreciate you always taking time for me no worries at all thank you very much for your time as well for more great shows please go to itunes or wherever podcasts are found and leave us a review